Welcome to episode 61 of the Horror Dads podcast. Today is an extremely special episode because Jamie and I are fortunate enough to interview Ben Scrivens of Fright Rags. He's the founder and owner of the company, and he is amazing. This was a dream come true for us, John. It was a bucket list item that we crossed off. Uh, We've been, I think since we, like before we started this podcast, he was a dream guest. Yeah. And, and he is nicer than we ever could have imagined. And we spent a ton of time talking and he was very gracious with his time and gracious with his stories and just all around hell of a dude. So it was just great getting to know him. Everybody we talk to is great. Uh, but there's always those special few that like we could just talk till the sun comes up and he was one of them. Yeah, for sure. So our episode theme today is formative horror films. So we spend some time interviewing Ben and then talking through three films he handpicked uh, that were formative for him uh, kind of growing up and kind of molded him into, you know, being inspired to make the apparel empire that he's made. He's 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 like the brand name, the authority in the apparel space. There are a ton of amazing contributors out there to the space um but uh ben for a lot of us and and fright rags is the first thing that comes to mind so yeah i think uh not to make this not to put too fine of a point on this but if you think about like halloween is the og for a lot of people horror film which i know there's debate about amongst that i think that fright rags essentially is the og of horror apparel yeah at least for the majority for, of people for mainstream there. for making it, yeah. it accessible to the common folk that aren't creeping around a internet chat forum because like he was talking about basically that's how he got started so it reminded me of the x-files dude i was thinking the same thing yeah. i want to bring it up so bad <laughs> but then it was like well i'm just gonna fucking talk about this like yeah. a nerd yeah right but thanks uh, for interrupting my story john um, uh... <laughs> so if you're new to the show, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Uh, Format-wise, yeah. this is an interview episode, so uh, Jamie and I are going to catch up real quick on the beginning here and then get into our interview with Ben. Yeah. But uh, we're going to tick through a couple of our essential catch-up things because we just love Gotta hanging out it. with each other. So yeah. what have you been watching, Jamie? All right, so I watched... Um, so I started watching Severance on Apple TV, the the Adam Scott show. Yes. Um uh, so fucking good. I'm only three episodes in, so it's like shit's unraveling. Um, and you get two stories at once because there's some sort of uh, severance itself is a brain surgery that people have to go to or go through if they want to work at this certain company uh, so that you you can work. And then when you leave work, you don't know what the fuck you worked on. So it's top secret. Your non-work self has no idea what your work self is doing. So you're, you know, you're, you're kind of watching two stories unfold. You're watching the work selves and the non-work selves. Um, and you're watching like this kind of unfold and then try to figure out what's going on. Uh, it's great. So I also watched Raising Cain from 1992 with John Lithgow. How is that? Dude. So it's a Brian De Palma film. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, if, yeah, that yeah. Tell, if that yeah. tells you anything. And, uh, so it's dramatic. It's got one of the best. I don't know if it's a jump scare, but one of the best like scary moments that I've seen in a while. Like um, the movie itself is kind of a horror film though, right? No. Yeah, it sort of is. Yeah. So the, the premise of the film is John Lithgow is this child psychologist 
that is, uh, <clears throat> he has split personality. So his dad, uh, personality is trying to, to corral <laughs> all these fucking kids to like send them to like Norway or something where they can like have like this camp, uh, you know, it's kids with like behavioral issues. And, uh, so they can like, I don't know, be treated. And so essentially John Lithgow is trying to steal kids so that he can send them to Norway or wherever the fuck. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, but no, that it's got a moment at the end there where you're like, I actually was like, well done. <laughs> like the last scene of the film, I was like, well, that was, that was good. How about you? So, uh, you and I did a special Patreon episode on Castle Freak, the 2020 version. Yeah. And yeah. we also watched the, uh, what was it? 95. Yeah. Yeah. 95. 95 which felt like 65. I, when, we, when we were watching it, you said this looks like it was made in 1947. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it was the version we watched on Shudder? No. I think that was just, they had a really small budget. I, I think it was $500,000. But like if you get the Blu-ray, do you think it's going to look like that? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. All right. So watch through both of those. And I mean, they were, they were really, they were fun. Um, they were gross and not really our typical traditional favorite in the, the genre. Uh, but they were, I'm glad we watched them. They were, they were new to us. So, uh, if you want to hear our full thoughts on them, head over to Patreon, check it out. Um, but also it today we're recording. It's March 31st. Um, tomorrow is April fool's day. So, uh, been watching April fool's day. Yeah. So let's talk about what we've been buying. Speaking of April Fool's Day, I gave my copy on Blu-ray of April Fool's Day to our buddy Matt Pepler. Yep. Good friend of ours. Love you, Matt. Uh, amazing designer. Uh, but I also was without one, right? Yeah. So our buddy Travis Davis, uh, also on Patreon, wanted to watch through it for uh, our watch through episode for March. I rented it for three ninety nine because I didn't have my copy because I gave it to Matt. And then after I rented it for three ninety nine, I bought it on Blu-ray again. So <laughs> that's right. Great work. Uh, and I also want to shout uh, the I, we've been plugging a lot of her work. Um, uh, her Instagram handle is, I think, cursive on on Instagram. Um, but she has these uh, just amazing like just like cute simple uh kid-friendly designs that she does so i bought a sticker pack she uh hand drew for uh nightmare before christmas and she also has this really nice uh skeleton uh pin i bought for my for my uh jean jacket so mm. i excited to get that on there nice. so um hoping to get her on the show too cool she's uh she's really good people and she's got great stuff love it uh I'm you been buying anything so I bought a t-shirt. Uh, I'm not going to talk about who I bought it from because it's not Fright Rags and this is our Fright Rags episode. I shouldn't have bought a t-shirt that wasn't Fright Rags. I guess that's uh, the moral of the story. But I bought, this is my first, we've, we discussed this before, like you and I are not really into the uh, rucking Foughton model with like the, oh, the, the designs long, on the sleeves, sleeve. right? Yeah. Uh, so I did, I bought my first one. It's a screen print. It's glow in the dark. Um, so I'm just going to sit in my office with the black lights on and stare at my shirt like a douche <laughs> uh so what are you wearing right now though so yeah look at this shelly the 13th shelly the 13th so this is the one that fright rags designed 
Uh, it's got Shelly. I think it was like a, was it one of those like 72 hour sales yeah. or? Yeah. Uh, I bought you that shirt for you did. your birthday, I think. For something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's got Shelly wearing the mask and he's got the spear. Yeah. Um, and I wore it today and my eight year old son, Ryland, was like, what, what the, Jason doesn't have hair. Especially not that. And I was like, well, <laughs> no, he doesn't. And then I went on this like long diatribe about uh, why like how Jason got the mask and all this shit. Oh, that'll do dad. Yeah. Dad, that's enough now. Um, but he kept (laughs) like saying, like I was outside helping him do something and he kept saying like, I can't like that guy's hair. I was like, well, it is, it is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you wearing? So I have my, uh, freight rags shirt as well on one of my freight rags shirts, Mm. but I've got my screaming like banshees shirts. Our buddy Travis bought, uh, Jamie and I each one for Christmas. You were leaning uh, to an year. accent there. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> you you didn't want to be racist. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, here's the deal. If I know. You, if you reach out to us on Instagram, I'll send you a an impersonation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've got that on in honor of uh, the big day here. Nice, dude. So, anything family oriented you want to touch on? Yeah. So I the other day I'm like working away in my office and I have my lunch meat calendar like behind me. <clears throat> And it's like on the wall. So I'm like typing away, working, blah, blah, blah. I hear my, my, my youngest, the four-year-old go, what, what happened to her leg? <laughs> and for March, it's killer workout. And you just see like a, a leg with like a leg warmer on it, like a foot and ankle kind of with like the <laughs> safety pin thing. And there's like blood. And he's like, what happened to her leg, dad? And I, I like turn. Like, you know, when you're working, you're like, I, I don't know. Yeah, but, don't worry so about I, it. Yeah. I yeah, turn yeah. around and I look and I was like, that is alarming for a what? child to look at. <laughs> and he's like, he's looking at me and like, I think he saw my face was appalled and he's like, started kind of chuckling. He's like, but what, what did happen? Is that blood? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I think she just like twisted her ankle. He's like, oh, okay. So I had a similar experience. Um, we, we spent last weekend in Toledo with friends, my wife and I, and, um, we brought the kids with us instead and, of horror hound. Yeah. You're yeah. we supposed to be at horror hound, but we went to Toledo. I don't want to talk about it. I uh, sat at home crying. Uh, so we're, we're in Toledo and the couple that we had met there, they're like, yeah, we're not really into horror. And we were with them and the kids. So I put on monster house mm-hmm. like uh, one, one of the afternoons and the kids were really like, everyone was actually really into it. So never cracker comes running out, just being a douche. Right. And, Finley and my oldest, she looks at me in the eyes. She goes, I hate Nevercracker. And I was like, he's not nice. And she goes, I'd kick him in the nuts. Oh my God. And I was like, how do you even know this expression? But if you're going to kick someone in the nuts, but also kick him in the Nevercracker. Don't make me go to like too deep examining this movie, but Nevercracker, Nevercracker, he's a good guy. Well, in the introductory sequence, he's, yeah, yeah. he's scary in that. He's scary as hell. Yeah. It's for good reason, but he's right, scary. T- take your deconstruction well, down a notch. God damn, let's make it a, a Monster House show. <laughs> Monster Dads. Yeah. All right, so a couple quick shout outs before we get into our episode with Ben here. Um, we do have a new patron. We want to welcome Stephen Tramontana. Uh, Steven. Yeah, Steven. Welcome. Welcome, buddy. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. 
Uh, Steven directed Killer Pinata. He's been on the show. Also, he is uh, wrapping up Killer Pinata 2. Which is called? Uh, Bride of Killer yeah, Pinata. Yeah. Our dear friend Eliza Morris is in that one. And I think you might notice a couple extras. Jamie and I couldn't make it in, but uh, I yeah. think some people we know uh, might be in there. So, um, Steven, thank you so much, man. Your work's amazing, and we can't wait to check out uh kp2 and we're gonna we're gonna push the hell out of it uh once it's available can't wait to see it all the uh images and stills that he've he's sent and that we've seen have been amazing so great uh but feel free to check out our merch uh at horrordads.com uh we've got a couple t-shirts available for purchase we are going to be doing a, a summer tank top release here soon and uh follow i've been us. doing extra bicep curls like getting ready for my tank <laughs> jamie's going to be our model uh, but uh, we've also got the social channels, so Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and please feel free to leave us a review on any of the sites that you listen to us. It uh, helps us get found, yeah. so we appreciate that. Stop in there, drop a five-star, maybe say a little thing. Um, also, one of our patrons is engaged, Andrew Zeider. I didn't realize this. I didn't um, either until you told me like two days ago. I just Congrats, feel like I learned Andrew. a brand new language. Um, so congrats, Andrew. We love you, buddy. Uh, but with that being said, let's get into it. We're going to do our episode now. So, um, on to Ben informative Mm. horror. You guys are going to love it. All right. Welcome to another episode of horror dads. John and I are crossing a massive item off of our bucket list today. Uh, we're joined by who John Ben Ben Scrivens from Fright Rags. Welcome, Welcome, Ben. Ben. Hey, thanks for having me guys. Yeah, dude. dude, this is honestly a, I know we were sort of talking to you prior to and saying we weren't going to mention it when we were recording, but we do this every time. Um, but yeah, we're, our fandom, um, we think of you in the same light we do many of our favorite, uh, you know, actors and directors. And I, I honestly feel like this, the statement of we would not have this podcast if it weren't for you kind of bringing, um, horror fandom into the limelight the way that you have um i I don't think we would have this podcast so 100 percent. wow that's uh thank you i don't even know what to say about that that's uh that's really awesome to hear i mean and i'm very humbling and and thank you for those kind words that's awesome yeah it's it's you know the horror community as a whole and the fandom like john was saying it's like it's immersive and uh you are just like always always there we're always wearing you we're always seeing you in documentaries and uh so yeah we're just ecstatic to have you here we've been whistling uh through the house all day (laughs) (laughs) whistling the the halloween theme that's a good one to whistle (laughs) but uh so ben you know for for those just walking in off the street uh on this episode and who might not know ben um uh created the fright rags brand which uh is one of the largest horror apparel uh, companies out there based out of uh, New York and uh, everything you see at horror conventions um, not everything but a lot of what you see there uh, is is I think touched by the the Fright Rags brand and I think uh, you wear probably some Fright Rags stuff and don't even know it um, and and this is one of our all-time favorite brands uh, in existence and we're super excited to, to ask some questions so uh we definitely want to talk about fright rags and, and get into that, but um, you know, let's get to know you a little bit, you know, prior to fright rags, what was life like for you? You know, what were you doing? What were you working on? And 
Uh, how did you kind of like transition into making your, your dream a reality? Well, right before I started Freight Rags, I was working at a laptop bag company. So sort of a long story short, I had graduated in high school in 95. I went to school at University of Buffalo for a year. And, you know, I'd always wanted to do something creative. I was, I wanted to be a comic book illustrator. And then I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I had a band with my brothers that we were jamming all the time and playing out here and there. And I just wanted to do something creative. So I went to school originally for comic book illustration. I switched when I got there to filmmaking. And then halfway through the year, I was like, I don't want to be in school. I just want to go home and play in my band. And uh, <laughs> I quit school. And my parents were my parents were always cool. I was the youngest of four. And they were like, look, you're either going to go to school or you're going to work full time. Like there's no, you know, you're going to work full time and pay rent or move in on your own. or You're going to go to school. And I, I got a job. I worked at Kodak. I was always working. And uh, I worked for a couple of years. And during that time, I was I would play around with like Photoshop and stuff because I again, I I love drawing. I love, and this was like, you're talking like 96, 97. Um, and I would be up all night playing with Photoshop because I had a copy of it. And I was like, if I could get paid doing this, that would be pretty cool. And I'd always liked graphic design. I've always liked the idea of putting words and images together. And, and you know, I loved logos and I loved just magazine design and, and of course, web design at the time, kind of looking into that. So I decided to go back to school. So the year I technically should have been graduating, I went back um, for a full four years. I started out as a freshman again. And uh, I went for four years, much to my girlfriend's chagrin, because she was graduating at college at the time, getting a full job. Um, But we're married now, so obviously that worked out. Um, But uh, so I went back to school for graphic design here in Rochester at um, Rochester Institute of Technology. Uh, which was an amazing school. I got to learn a lot of great things. I got to study abroad. I was in Germany for four months uh, doing a semester at the Bauhaus School of Design, which was amazing. So graduate from RIT in 2002. Um, I get a job doing pre-press for this uh, company uh, that does um, pre-press for printing. Like we had to do like all the, you know, like Fisher Price would have a box of like, you know, for, for toys, we'd have to like do the layout and make sure that they signed off on the print and stuff before it went to actual print packaging, like the full run. I was there for a few months and I found a job at this laptop bag company. It was like literally two people and uh, the boss, the owner, and then the office manager and then me. And I got to do everything. I got to take all the product photography, do the website stuff, do the print collateral, do everything. So it was a good job. And my girlfriend came, my fiance, and we were, you know, saving up for a wedding. And, you know, I just, I always had it in me. Like, again, we were in an apartment, so we didn't have a house yet. We didn't have kids. We didn't have a lot of those sort of responsibilities. So I was, you know, had a lot of time on my hands and I was always drawing and thinking of things. And on my lunch break, I'd go to the park and just try to think of ideas. And in the meantime, I was like on message boards at the time, because this is pre, you know, Facebook, it's pre MySpace, even like all that. And I'd hang out on message boards, horror message boards, of course, and talking about movies. And then I I dabbled into these other message boards that did a lot of like collectibles. And one that I would frequent uh, was Night Owl Productions run by someone called Justin Mabry. And if you don't know who that is, he went on to form Trick or Treat Studios with Chris Sefro many years later. But he and I became really good friends. We talked for five, six, seven hours at a time on the phone. We were the same age had the same interests. I loved what he did. He made the best Michael Myers masks ever. And I just wanted to do something. And 
I realized I also liked quirky t-shirts. <laughs> so I was like, but I didn't have any horror shirts. So I thought, you know, what could I do to make, blend horror and, and design together? And I came up with this idea. Um, it was during like the, what would Jesus do kind of craze at the time. And uh, I just said, well, what would Jason do? And instead of a J, it would be cool to put a hockey mask. And that was just like a light bulb because I hadn't, I hadn't seen anything that kind of mixed sort of humor. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. at the time, the only site was like Rotten Cotton, which they did great stuff, but it was just like poster art on a shirt for the most part. And I wanted something that just was like funny. Everybody got that. You know, you didn't have to be a horror fan and you got it. And it was There's also a little bit. To it, yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit, I don't want to say mean, but it was sort of snarky, which I liked. And that it just fit my sense of humor. And I thought, what if you blew up that hockey mask and put it on a shirt? Like just the hockey mask, that'd be cool. And, and so anyway, it was just, it was, it was just a creative light bulb that went off in my head. And Justin was very uh, supportive. He's like, look, you should post that on my, my message board, see if people are interested. And I'd post mock-ups of the t-shirts and people were responding like, oh, I would buy that. I would buy that. And I was like, well, Maybe I should just try selling them. Maybe I can make them and sell them. So I, I ordered my first batch of shirts and, and created a website, thought of a name that might be cool and then registered. It's funny. I'd never started a website before. I'd never started a business. You know, I, I had to learn it all on my own. I, I learned some web design in, in college, but I had to really do it and link the PayPal buttons and stuff yeah. and make sure all everything lined up in every page. And, uh, what year was this? Yeah, I kind of like when you started to build, oh, that, build all that out. That was 2003. That was September 2003. Um, I think I made the website around Labor Day weekend. I think I registered the name in August. I don't know. It all gets a little blurry sometimes in my brain, but I remember the first day I got the shirts because I ordered them online. The first batch I ever ordered was online. And my buddy and I, who was my first employee, he was one of my best friends growing up, we got the shirts and they came to my parents' house. And I'll never forget it because it was the night. It was either the first night Cabin Fever came out or Cabin Fever had just come out. Like it was within that whatever theatrical time, but I think it was the night it came out. We put on our shirts and we went to the <laughs> mall and like walked around the mall for like a half an hour before the movie. We walked in the hot topic. We weren't kind of like looking around and someone working there was like, Oh, that's a cool shirt. I'm like, Oh, thanks. I made it. Like it was such like a dorky thing, but I, I was so like, please ask me more. <laughs> I love yeah, it. <laughs> would you like to, would you like to purchase one yourself? It was like such a funny thing. Um, but it was very, it was a cool moment, you know? Uh, I think that was literally the only person that said anything. But I'm walking around in this t-shirt that I designed and I had printed. And, you know, when I, I got my first order, I mean, I remember posting it on Justin's site. And, you know, I got a handful. I still have the manila folder of all the orders I printed out, like, from September through December with, like, the tracking numbers and all the customers. And it's, like, it's like so thin. It's, you know, it's like, got like, I don't know, like 50 orders or something in it. Yeah. But uh, I'll never forget it. You know, I'll never forget seeing my email and being like, plunk, someone ordered a shirt, plunk, 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 plunk. And I was like, wow, that is like, <laughs> someone sent me money and I'm going to send them something I made. That's the yeah. coolest thing ever. Like, literally, that's all I was thinking. It was, yeah, I was hooked. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because those like 50 orders are the most important orders of your life, you know, and it's like you've done mil a mil probably millions and uh, it's those 50 are still like the most impactful. Yeah. Oh, easily. Like Joe Scringe was my first uh, ever uh, 
customer. I'll never forget him. He lived in California. I, I still talk to him once in a while and he was on the message Did you know boards, him but, uh, or no? Was, was it? A- uh, yeah, I knew him. Like the first bunch of orders were right from the message board. You know what I mean? Oh. Like that was. But you so knew I him knew through that though. Guys. It wasn't like a, uh, your uncle or something like that. No, no, it wasn't a family member or anything like that. Yeah. It, was, it was definitely people from the message boards. Yeah, yeah, no one. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, it's not like I started it and like the rest is history. Like it was, you know, there'd be weeks yeah i remember like especially as my wife and i were getting married and getting a house i'd be like maybe i ought to grow up and, like and stop this thing you know i'm getting them you know i should probably get a new job and maybe i should like not do fright rags anymore i was like thinking about it and all of a sudden like an order would come in out of nowhere from somebody in australia and i'd be like holy crap at that moment somebody found this site yeah and liked it enough to put and that always kept me going like always yep. and you know, it was just one of those things where I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to keep working at it, you know? And then there was a moment, I never forget, it was 2005. I was driving home from work and it was really snowy. It was taking me like an hour to get home and I was stuck in traffic and I was thinking I got to do these designs because I want to release these new shirts and I want to, I got to, um, you know, brush up my resume because I was looking for a new job. So I was kind of feeling creatively stifled at my current job. And I was just like, I was just like exhausted. And I just, I literally looked at myself in the rear view mirror and I was like, all right, if you woke up tomorrow and you had a new design job, because I was a firm that I really wanted to work at, or you could do fright rags full time and you were making the same amount of money, like no matter, and it didn't have to be a ton. It was just whatever I was making at the time. Like it was taking money off the table because at the time I could not support myself in fright rags at all. I wasn't taking any money from the business. Yeah. So I just, but I needed to level with myself. Like if money weren't the, the, the question here, what would you want to do? And it was that moment where I said, well, I would do fright racks. Like it was so immediately like concrete in my brain. Then I went, you know what? Screw it. I'm not looking for a new job. I'm not updating my portfolio. I'm not doing any of that. I'm going to take all of my time outside of my job and quite frankly, a lot of it on the job. (laughs) Sorry, Michael, if you're listening to this, my old boss. Um, And I am going to bust my ass and get this working. Now that was 2005. I was able to quit in 2008. It still took a few years, but it really just narrowed my focus to say, I don't care how long this is going to take. This is what I want to do. And so uh, you're, you you have two kids, right? And your oldest, you said Mm -hmm. is 16. So um, yeah. <clears throat> throw, throw a new baby into the mix around that time as well. Right. Mm. Yeah. So my daughter was born in December, 2006 and all throughout 2007, I'll never forget this, this, you know, again, there's these moments that always stick out to me. Um, we were visiting friends in the summer of 2007 and, uh, it's my wife's friends from college and we get together every year cause we all have kids around the same age. And he said, well, can't you quit now? Like, <laughs> Like, aren't you able to quit? Excuse me. Um, and I said, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't know how I would know that, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, Because again, I wasn't really paying myself. And I had a separate account called Fright Rags that all the money went into, but I wasn't like taking anything for me. I mean, I might buy some beer here and there or something, but it wasn't <laughs> like I was like, yeah. like paying myself. So I said, all right, that's what I'm going to do. There was a there was an account back then. This is again going back. Online savings accounts for five percent interest, which is like ridiculous, right? Like it's crazy high now, but back then that was sort of a norm. 
And there was a bank that I had zero affiliation with. It wasn't part of my personal funds or whatever. And I signed up for an account and I didn't even, I mean, I ripped up the debit card and everything. I just had the account online and I said, I'm going to take my weekly paycheck that I make at my job. I forgot how much it was at the time, but I said, I'm going to take that same amount. I'm going to take it out of my Fright Rags account and put it in the savings account automatically. It'll be set up to do it weekly. And I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to work during the day. I'm going to do Fright Rags at night. And let's see what happens. And this was probably around July, August of 2007. And what I found out was that literally nothing changed. I was able to, quote unquote, pay myself every week the same amount I was making at my job. And I could still print the t-shirts. I could still pay the artist or do what I needed to do. And then after about four or five months, I realized, A, nothing changed. B, I've got like five months of income saved up getting 5% interest right now. Yeah, I was going to say that interest rate. (laughs) Yeah, that's my nice like little like, you know, cushion there. And so January of 2008, a position came up at that firm that I wanted a job at before a few years prior. Now, this is a very small firm. Kathy uh, Demanda, she will, uh, you know the name, but she, this woman ran the company. It was just her and like one other person. But I really liked her and her style. And I'd interviewed uh, back when I was looking for my job originally. But they needed like a junior level person. And I interviewed for it. And she was like, well, I mean, you're at the time I was, I mean, I, I'd been doing graphic design for a while. I was kind of overqualified for it. But I told her, I said, look, I don't care. It's like 16, 20 hours a week. That's all I want because. I'm doing this other thing, you know, this, this t-shirt thing. And I just, you know, I don't want to like just a perfect jump segue. Off yeah. End. It was like a, a nice wean down. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally perfect. She understood. She uh, was very supportive. Um, even my boss was very supportive of me. So I left on great terms, went over to work for her in March of that year. And I stayed until August because by then I was like, I got to do this full time. This is, I would get to my job and I would check my email for fright rags. You know what I mean? And there was, I was just, I needed to just do it full time. And I did. And so August, 2008, I quit that job. I mean, she again, very supportive and everything. And uh, I never looked back and it's been like that ever since. So I'm, I'm certified, certifiably unemployable. (laughs) (laughs) How, uh, how was the first few months after that jump? Was there any like panicking? Yeah, you know what happened was the first few months of the jump, the 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 economy crashed. I was just gonna say, like, two thousand eight was when. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my I'll god! I'll never forget it. I remember going to pick up my daughter at my parents' house because my parents lived right around the corner and they watched our kids uh, while we, while my wife and I worked, and because uh, my work, wife works full time, so um, we were very blessed to have them do that. And I remember going to pick up the kids and watch it because my mom always has the news on. And they were talking about like the economy. And at the time I wasn't involved really in the, like I didn't know enough about the quote unquote economy. Like, what does that mean? Like when the stocks go down, like I wasn't in it, like, like maybe like I am today and it's a little bit different now, but like, I was like, oh my God, the economy is tanking. Everyone's foreclosing on their homes. Everyone's in a panic. Who the hell is going to buy a a horror t-shirt? Right. (laughs) And it, I'll be honest, didn't affect me at all. Like I just kept doing my thing. And, you know, at the time I had one employee, my friend, Tim, um, who was like one of my best friends in childhood. And he, you know, I still worked out of my house. Like my lower level of my house was my warehouse in my office. 
um, not the house I'm in now, it's my older house. And, you know, it's weird. And then in 2009, I hired my second employee, then I ended up having my second kid and just kind of started growing from there, really. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's funny too, and not, not to make this about us, but when the most recent crisis happened with in 2020, um, Jamie and I were both very fortunate to remain employed throughout the entire experience. And, um, you know, we've got, we're dads with full-time serious jobs and, uh, we, we really were diligent on making sure, Hey, like our lifestyle hasn't changed. Um, we're very fortunate for that fact and we need to support business right now more than ever before. So like, I think 2020, I mean, I think we both bought more horror yeah. merch ever. Yeah. And we, oh, were, wow. we wanted to hit as many independent artists as we could and whatnot. So hopefully in, in 2008, um, that was probably when we were picking up our first uh, round of fright rags and didn't even know it. Cause we were, I was pretty fresh <laughs> out of college uh, yeah. at that point in time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's an amazing story, man. So was there a moment in time, um, not only like after you went out on your own, but did you have like a moment in time where you sat down on your couch at night and you were decompressing and you were like, you know what? I have effing made it. Like, I feel top of the world right now. Like I've like, was, was it an encounter with a person or someone, something, or did you get like recognition from, uh, like Fangoria or was it, was there like maybe I'm seeking a moment that didn't occur, but I'm creating <laughs> no, it for I, you. <laughs> so I, there's, there's a couple of things. So one, first of all, I, I do truly feel like if you feel like you've ever made it, that's, I never felt like I've made it. I still yeah. don't feel like I've made it. Like I really, and I know that sounds weird. I'm, I'm very blessed and fortunate that I'm able to not only do this as a career and, and, and my, my life, but also support, amazing people on my team as well. And so I, I recognize th- th- its position and, and I, I understand that, but I don't, I honestly, I really look at myself and us very similarly to the way I did almost 20 years ago. And I know that's, that sounds weird. So I never really feel like there's this aha, I made it. However, there are absolute moments where I go, holy <laughs> crap. I can't believe that happened. Like, and, and, and there is a long list of those moments that have happened in my life where I cannot, like, if I, I like literally when something happens, like, okay, if it all ends tomorrow, it's fine. That's yeah. fine. I can't even ask for more than that because that was an incredible moment. So there's a ton of those, but I don't think there was ever a moment that I was like, yep, I'm, I made it. Like, <laughs> That's what Gary that's uh, f- Gary yeah. Pullen had the same mentality actually when we were talking with him he 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 kind of he probably led me to ask that question and I didn't even know it was just in my brain yeah because he he said he's like I feel like I haven't made it yet he's and it's ridiculous come from him right because he's like right you know he's uh one of the best out there of uh, of all time and he's like yeah you know he, he did our logo right yeah yeah. Well, yeah we were we were talking about well that was you know, what you talking about? <laughs> when we had him on he was talking about it and then after we got done with that um yeah, that, i think we were like high-fiving or hugging each other after the interview and then we were like we should get ben on yeah i was like you know what i think now's the time we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll email ben did did he tell you real quick did he tell you the story about when he asked me for shirts no oh can i tell you the story yeah, please do <laughs> so and I've, I've said this before and I've said it to Gary, to him, because Gary and I are great friends. I love him so much. 
before I started Fright Rags, one of my inspirations for doing any of this is I used to go to, um, well, it was Borders uh, when they were still around during my lunch break and look at magazines. I love looking at magazines like design and stuff. And I, used, of course, used to collect Fangoria as a kid. And, you know, by the late 90s, early 2000s, it wasn't as good as it was. And, of course, it, you know, rebirthed into this amazing thing a few years ago. But at the time, so you're talking early 2001, 2002, I guess, I remember seeing another magazine on the rack called Rue Morgue. And I remember picking it up and, like, going, oh, my God. Like, this is not only amazing articles but the art is incredible and the layout and the what he's doing here and i was like who is this person gary Pollan? oh my god like he's incredible and i was literally a fa- i was just a fan of gary's like and it, he was a huge inspiration of sort of starting to meld the horror thing with with other stuff because obviously it was a horror fan i got my first batch of shirts i got literally what was it three designs 20 shirts it was like 60 shirts and like i mean i spent it was like 600 bucks of money. I did not have, I was on a credit card. <laughs> we were saving for a wedding. Like I said before, and Gary Poland emailed me. He's like, Hey man. He's like, and I didn't know him. Like we had never talked. So this was like, for me getting an email from Gary to me was like, what? <laughs> and he's, and he was very cool. And I, I, I always rib him on this, but it's always in good. It's always in jest. Cause he, he always feels bad about this, but he's like, dude, I love your shirts. Would it be cool if I got like a couple I could wear them at shows and pimp you guys out and whatever? And I was, I, I had to say no. Because I was like, <laughs> I can't give any of these out for free. I don't even have the money to pay these things off. How can I give them out yeah. for free? And I literally said no. And he was so cool. I mean, look, Gary's the best. Yeah, so the best. And I, I remember a few years after that, of course, we became friends and stuff. And I, I apologize. I said, Gary, I'm so sorry that I had to say no. He's like, what are you talking about? Dude, I totally got it. I, because I felt bad for asking. I just felt like, <laughs> I'm like, no, don't feel bad for asking. It's all good. So <laughs> I love so that story. how that worked out. But he is like one. I mean, you guys know he's one of the best. And, and in 2008, actually, I was redesigning my logo. And quite frankly, I was trying to design it as if Gary was designing it. And then I was like, what? Let me just check with Gary. Hey, Gary, you want to do the logo for us? He's like, hell yeah. So he designed our logo and that's what we've been using ever since. That is so cool. Yeah, that is amazing. And every time I pull a, cause I, I didn't recognize that or realize that until I bought Gary's book. Yeah. Reading the book uh, yeah. in preparation for us interviewing him. And I read through the, I read it cover to cover. It was just so well done and so well laid out. I still look at it like every day. I do. It's just, it's like just so pretty. Page. Yeah. But, uh, it's a great book. Oh, so good. When I saw that in there and I, I think, I think you like with with fright rags and cavity colors. Like when you guys do the the logo on the on the the area where it says the size, and there's like a little oh, yeah. print on mm-hmm. there. That's all, honestly like my favorite because it, it's you always, mean on the back of the shirt, like yeah, it's, medium. Or, it's yeah. peeking oh, out of the drawer at you. Same. Dude, when I put, I have a fright rag shirt on under this today, and. Uh, when I saw it looking up at me, I was like, I was just smiling like an idiot. My yeah. wife's like, what are you doing? And I was like, getting dressed. Why? And she's like, why are you smiling? And I was like, leave me alone. Gary and Ben, <laughs> nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but that's uh, great. yeah, that's an awesome story, man. I love that. Ben, tell us a little bit about, um, so at like, what age do you think you became a huge horror fan? Was it just like as a kid running through the VHS aisles, like it was for John and I, I imagine it had to be. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, I think I'm a little bit older than you guys. I'm going to be 45 this year. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so basically 
it really started the, the the moment I became a horror fan was I'll never forget it. And I'm actually part of the reason why I'm wearing the shirt, but it was October 30th, 1981. And uh, it was oh the night God. before Halloween. I was four years old and I watched Halloween for the first time. And it was the network premiere, oh. uh, the NBC Friday night movie of Halloween. Oh my God. I would yeah. have been uh, two months um, old at this time. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was at, basically what had happened was we were at a family friend's place. They owned a deli around the corner from my parents' house. We used to live in downtown Rochester and they kind of lived above and in the back of the deli. And it was, I remember the smell was always smelled like a wet mop back there. It was like, it wasn't like a basement, like dank, <laughs> but it was like this like living room, kitchen, dining room area. And uh, again, I'm the youngest of four. My brothers, my sister, they're off doing whatever. My parents are hanging out with the other parents and I'm just four years old going like, I want to go home or whatever. And my mom's just like, just go watch TV, like go over there, basically like get out of my way or my hair. Thanks mom. No. And I always river about that too, <laughs> I, I, you know, but whatever, I'm sure it was more, it was more pleasant than that. But I went over there and literally sat next down to that, down to that like console TV, that big wooden, probably like, it was probably like five feet pounds. long, but the, the tube <laughs> was like, you know, 12 inches, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I literally clicked through the three channels and, and I'm not kidding. I landed all of a sudden it was a black screen. And I just hear the piano music, you know? And I was like, what's this? And then a pumpkin came up on the screen. I was like, what's this? I mean, up until that point, I was used to Scooby-Doo and Popeye and all that stuff. I, I the first movie I'd ever seen in the theater was actually Empire Strikes Back, but I barely remember that, like barely. So wow. I sat there for two hours watching this guy in a mask torture these kids. And I was literally like, I'm hooked. And at that moment, VHS and beta had a, like a, they were like, basically there was like that format war and, and Rochester was one of the test beds for that. Um, so my dad actually bought a Betamax and there was like five or six video stores within probably just a few miles from us. And we would go to each one and each one had different types of selections. Like we knew where to go for certain things, but every time I walked in the video store, I went right to the horror section and checked out what was there. And that's really what started it by the, and there was one that was just about a mile from my house. And it was in the small plaza that I have to walk by to go to school. Um, oh, and it's like a, I was like, it's a dream right there. <laughs> it really was. And it was, it was great. I mean, we went there every week and I, by the time I was nine years old, it was a really small place too, but it was, by the time I was nine years old, um, my parents signed the back of my membership card because every time I went to rent a horror movie, the woman behind the counter would have to call my parents mm. to make sure it was okay. Oh, and my parents no were way. just like, yeah, they were like, can we just sign the card for him? <laughs> and then he can just get what he wants. And that was it. And that was like my ticket. And it's funny because my friends would come with me and some of them were like, you know, at the time, and they're only like six months older than me. But, you know, when you're when you're 10, 11 years old, that's like a big oh, yeah. deal. Oh, yeah, dude. And like, Big difference. Yeah, the woman behind the counter would be like, is he old enough to watch this? And my friend is like, I'm older than him. I'm like, yeah, he's all right. I think he'll handle it. Like, he's with me. So I, was, I have the signature. Yes. So Do you remember I, the name I mean, of that store? Really, Can I get a six pack of beer as well? Yeah, it was it was video box office. I still have my membership card. Not the one that my parents signed, but I have the other, the newer one. Oh, when dude. I say newer, it was. Um, and well. We can, I'll tell you a story later on when we talk about the formative films, uh, because that, that there's another tie into that, um, for one of the movies, but, uh, it was literally like my, my school away from school. Like I would go to the store with my friend, 
rent a movie, come home, and they gave you free popcorn. I never forget, it was $2.14. You got the movie for whatever, one or two nights. Box of really stale popcorn, really stale salty popcorn. <laughs> we would finish the popcorn on the way home, walking home. And then we'd go to my house or his house and watch the movie and, and probably watch it two or three times and then go back. You know, in the summer, we did it every day. We just kept going back and, and doing it. So That's really um, interesting about the Betamax uh, uh, VHS, like, and being part of that test market. Because I... Where we are, we definitely were not. No, um, yeah. That's that's interesting. It's actually the first time that's come up on this podcast, oddly enough. Yeah. And this is the 60. We ended up episode. having to get a VHS, obviously, because Beta yeah. obviously went the way of the Dodo. But uh, they, they lost. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, we did, you know, but I had a lot of Beta tapes. I still have a bunch of Beta tapes. I was going to ask funny, if you had, had any. Yeah. I, yeah, I still had not a lot of, like, old horror movies, unfortunately. There's a lot of taped stuff off the of TV and everything. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's funny because we had cable when it first came out too. And then my brothers were watching too much MTV and my parents got rid of it like in 83, I think it was. And then we didn't get back to like 93. So I had to watch all the cable at my friend's house and give them blank tapes to tape stuff from HBO for me. Like, dude, this movie's on and this movie's on at this time. You got to tape them for me. Okay. So I have all these tapes with like, you know, 7 p.m., you know, Lady in White, 9 p.m., Friday the 13th. And it's like I would label all that oh for them and give them the tapes that could tape it for me. I found a VHS because um, I actually bought um, the house that we live in now. Uh, my wife and I bought it from my parents. Um, so I, I grew up a good portion of my life here. And I found a, a tub over there in the in the basement here. Um, it like appeared out of nowhere. And I was like, where the hell did this come from? And I opened it up and there were a bunch of VHSs in there. And there was uh, my mother had like handwritten. It was like Days of Our Lives uh 1992 or something and it was like crossed out and underneath it had like a horror movie title or something and i was like oh my god this is amazing it was my handwriting that is amazing Um, so i i have a little handful of those over there which is kind of a nice little nostalgic thing to find oh that's really cool so you you are the youngest of four so you have do you have three older brothers two older brothers and an older sister okay Mm -hmm. and what were they into horror too were they part of your your gateway or no so the yes and no, and, and the reason why I say that it, it's not, well, my sister wasn't into horror, but my, my brothers, so it's funny, they weren't like horror kids, but they were sort of, it's funny, they've gotten more into it over the years because of me, which yeah. is funny enough. Uh, my one brother, Matt, has gone to conventions with me for, oh my God, 16 years now, <laughs> like he goes to almost all the shows. Um, my other brother, Mike, would help out too, but it's funny because they weren't into horror per se but i remember watching creep show when i was real little yeah because uh, they rented it i remember my brother matt he had his girlfriend and friends over and they rented halloween one and two and watched double feature um my brother mike would with his girlfriend of course now wife would would rent movies like on a friday night at my house and i remember watching silver bullet and fright night and a bunch of movies he even took me to see like Friday 13 part 7 in theater and halloween 4 when it came out so like there were moments that I look back and go, oh, yeah, but they weren't like I was reading the Fangorias. I was making the fake blood. I was getting the latex. I was, you know, dressing up as Michael Myers. I was doing all that. They weren't doing that stuff. Um, so I wouldn't say they were like huge fans, but I think because it was in sort of the pop culture, it was like, oh, let's go. Let's get this. Or And they knew I was into it, too. So it's like, oh, let's get this movie and we'll watch it yeah. together. But it wasn't until like really I started Fright Rags and, you know, developed it more 
that they were getting more interested in the films and watching things. So I thought that was kind of funny how they kind of came around to it more as fans because of me. But when I was a kid, it was really me driving, at least for myself. It wasn't, I don't think they had a huge influence on that other than, you know, those moments, which were still great moments. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I remember, you know, sneaking downstairs while they were watching creep show. That was pretty cool, you know, and, and other yeah. things. So um, they definitely played a part in it for sure. Do you have a specific like, subgenre of horror that you gravitate most towards um not necessarily it, then but yeah. now or is it like just yeah all... it's, it, it's always been slashers just because i love that genre and and when i was a kid it was because of halloween obviously and i wanted to see more of that mm-hmm. so of course you've got you know my believe valentine and friday 13th and into nightmare on the street and stuff like that but even as i got older what I've enjoyed about the slasher genre is how it can reinvent itself. You know, obviously you go back to scream and then the rash of movies that came after that, which funny enough now, 25 years later, we're looking at it in a different light than, than we did. Like I was in my early twenties. Right. So I loved scream, but like, and I loved going to see, I know he did last summer. And then there was like urban legend and all those other movies. And then you're like, Oh, it's the same old crap, but you kind of can look back at it now. Like I know that was formative for some kid at that point. Some 10, 12 year old kid was, those were formative movies for them. For me, I was older and a little bit more cynical, but I look back at them now and go, man, those are some fun movies. And even nowadays there's slasher movies like, you know, final girls in uh, other movies that like are freaky or things like that, where you start taking the genre and flipping it around. And I love stuff like that. Like I, I love when, people are reinventing that genre because I always wanted to make a, a scary slasher because it had been done to death figuratively <laughs> and, and literally um, that I always wanted to see if you could make one that is scary. And I've loved, you know, and then obviously the reimaginings and then the reboots of franchises and stuff. So that's a subgenre that always will remain close to my heart. I mean, I, I love ghost stories. I love zombies. I mean, I love it all for the most part, but I'm a slasher kid for sure. Yeah, I think we're the same, right, John? Yeah, and I definitely I was that kid uh, for Scream because I was born in '87, um, so I perfect was, age. Yeah, I was you know nine, ten years old and when Scream came out, and that was really for me uh, what you know tipped the scale. And then after that, it was like, all right, I'm totally in. What's next? And Scream yeah. Two, and I know what you did last summer, and that that's what really got the ball rolling for me. So yeah, those I, movies he listed off are, are exactly the ones that you grew yeah. up on yeah and you know and we still love so much still and honestly movies like the prowler um some of those other really prominent 80s slasher films that were i guess lesser known than the big the big franchises you know i found a lot of those later in life um and it wasn't that i didn't that i wasn't searching for it it just like you weren't exposed to it yeah i just didn't yeah. have an intersection with it and then really over the past eight ten years and i think it's because of our relationship like we've have challenged each other to find more and, and, and we do these like blind purchases all the time. And, um, yeah, it's well, really streaming. And then companies like yeah. uh scream factory and uh, vinegar syndrome have made these movies so accessible now that like we never would have been able to see. And uh, honestly, I was just going to say that the accessibility these days of these movies, like when I was, I remember back in my apartment, so you're talking 2002, I was downloading movies like Torrent, right? And I remember that was the first time I'd seen The Burning. I'd never seen that movie before because I I didn't have access to it. I guess the stores I went to just never had it. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I had read a little bit about it and I downloaded it. I was like, this is the best slasher. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And nowadays, like you were saying last, you know, eight, 10 plus years, 
not only are the companies putting these things out in pristine formats, um, but also they're being talked about more. There's just more everyone out there, podcasts, you know, YouTube videos and stuff. You can find so much more where it was a little bit harder to even find those things, even though you didn't know what you were looking for back then, if that makes exactly. sense, you know? Yeah. And the other thing too, that's been a super big, I think authority for us has been honestly a lot of merch companies and horror apparel companies that we love Yeah, when they'll do a line and it's like, you know what? I don't really have a relationship with that movie. I love that design. Let me revisit it. And then I'll go back and I'll watch it and I'll be like, you know what? I'm buying this on Blu-ray tonight and buying that shirt. And you know what? I'm going to get the damn hoodie too. Like I'm doing it all. Yeah. 100%. It goes back to what we were saying with the horror community as a whole. It's like you're, everything that you are like exposed to is like either, you know it or you don't, and you want to be exposed to it. Yeah. Like we had, uh, some listeners on our discord that just watched, uh, Dave just watched the prowler like two yeah, nights yeah. ago. And, uh, we had some friends who like had never seen night of the creeps, but listen to our podcast. And we're like, well, I have to fucking buy this blu-ray. They, they just went and bought the scream factory blu-ray and Zach had never seen it. Zach on Patreon just watched, uh, the, pr- the prowler as well. Yeah. For the first time a couple right. weeks ago. Which is crazy and great. Like, See, I, love, I, love, I that. love that. So I always wondered about that. Like, obviously, me being of a certain age, I always thought eventually I or, or people in, in, in at least my age bracket would sort of start not aging out because I would always love this stuff. But like, like I mean, you're 10 years younger than me. So to, to hear you talk about the Prowler the same way I would talk about the Prowler to me is like, this is really good because – yeah. Otherwise, like it keeps all of this stuff alive and it's still as relevant to you as it is to me. And even my son, I mean, my son's 12. He eats these movies up. Like we watch them together. He's blown through all the Friday 13th and Halloween's and Nightmare on the Streets and he loves them. And I'm like, okay, this is good because I didn't like a movie like, say, Nightmare on the Street, which came out in 84, that was what, 25 years before he was born? I'm not. Part of me says, well, I'm not really watching a lot of movies that came out 25 years before I was born, like all the time. Yeah. Right. And that would have been in the 50s. That said, I mean, there's Universal Monsters. There's definitely movies, of course, that came out before me that I watched. But I don't know. The 80s, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, just take the 80s as a decade. That lives on not just with people like me who grew up in it, but for other people who are either younger in that in that decade or weren't even born in that, in that decade still love these movies. And that's just, well, there, that's amazing. And I think there's a huge commercial appeal to, um, to preserving the 80s genre in general, just through the current pop culture media. Yeah. Things Stranger like, things. Yeah, and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you that's have, true. You have kids that are of that age and we always, we always talk about this on the podcast, like, Hey, in 40 years, are they going to be making movies that took place? Well, they probably will that took place in 2020 yeah. just yeah. because of that. But you know, remove the pandemic from the conversation aside. Yeah. Are we in an era today that is going to be mirrored in the future because it was like, Oh, that was a great time to live. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I hope it's yes. It's, it's probably not though. I don't It'll know. Be like, Oh, that, that era of the requels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? Uh, but it's an interesting thing to think about and, and yeah. So I, I mean, it's great to, I guess, Long, long winded point is it's great to <laughs> let me beat the hell out of this into the ground. It's great to have uh, uh, the different horror authorities out there kind of kind of guide the, you know, the fans like us uh, to new stuff. And we've been fortunate enough to do that with some new friends that we've made yeah. through this endeavor. So 
So I guess back to business real quick. So the, the official licensing aspect of, of what you guys do, I think is like a huge prominent and impressive point. So how, is that like a full-time job? Was, is that, a, was that when you started this, was that part of your intent to kind of champion that? Or is that um, one of those things you fell into like, Oh God. No. And it was, so I knew when I first started out that like anything I was doing, unless I had absolute, permission and licensing which i i understood the concept of licensing at the point but i didn't know one bit of how it worked in in real life right so but i knew like if i put leatherface on a shirt i could get sued like in my head i was like i could just get sued right yeah and i mean i remember trying to find toby hooper's email to write him for permission (laughs) like all this stuff like i look back and, and it's just hilarious it's funny because a couple months after i started I literally got my first license and it's, I've actually had it ever since. Um, and it was actually for right with the poster behind me, Sleepaway Camp 2. Um, oh I got Sleepaway Camp 2 and Sleepaway Camp 3, which were among my favorite slasher films, uh, especially part two. I love that movie so much. It's and so watchable. I got in touch with What's that? It's so watchable. Oh, it's, it, I, when I first saw that, and I saw that before Sleepaway Camp, the original. Yeah. It, it blew my mind and I was like 12 and I was like, I love this movie. This is like, this is everything I want in a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. And then part three was just great as well. And I found, um, Michael Simpson who created two and three, I somewhere online and I reached out to him and I'll never forget it. Cause I was at my job at the time and he faxed over a license agreement, which is like, it was like a not even a paragraph and I signed it and faxed it back. And it was my first ever dip into the licensing. And it's funny, we had that forever. And unfortunately, several years ago, he passed away. Um, but a few months or a year before that, he I, maybe it's because he was sick. He's like, look, um, there was a mutual friend of ours that um, actually helped get the box set out, John Kleiza. And he was like, you can just pay him. You, you just take the rights and you just pay him and perpetuity. I'm like, thanks. And I'm like, wow. that's amazing. Um and so anyway, I tried to get licensing. I'll never forget having a call with a company about getting the licensing to like Lionsgate. And I was like shaking because I didn't even know. I mean, they wanted all this money. I, I didn't even know what I was doing. Right. And then um, I, you know, got my share of cease and desists. I actually got one for what would Jason do? Mm. It was um, it's it's kind of funny. So I'm trying to be long winded about this. I apologize. But basically, I. Dually, what happened was I reached out. I someone was selling it. Well, Hot Topic was selling a shirt that had kind of stolen, a kind of ripped off like a silhouette of Frankenstein that I had done. Yeah. Now, granted, I didn't have the rights to Frankenstein, and I don't even think that was licensed either. But I was, I, I was so. How do I put this? I, I don't even know what got into me. I just wrote them. I used their contact page on on their website. I was like, hey, you know, you guys are selling a shirt that I designed and. Why don't you just sell mine or whatever? You know, it was sort of like one of those things, right? I didn't think I'd ever get a response. Within two hours, I got a response. Like, oh, you know, we're really sorry, but let's look at your stuff. And of course, mine wasn't licensed. So they had, I had a Nosferatu shirt that they were really interested in. And we ended up, they ended up buying 2,000 of them for me. Oh my um, which was incredible. However, what I didn't know at the time is, you know, when Hot Topic buys from you, and this is for any company, not just them, 
you have to not only, you know, print them, but you have to buy the tags, like the strip, the, the size sticker tags, the actual hang tags. You have to do all that work. You have to fold them in a certain way. You have to box them in a certain way. You have to arrange for trucking to different um, distribution centers. Wow. And it's like a 60 page manual. Oh, and I, I mean, this was in 2005 and it was just me. And I'm like, well, how am I going to do this? And I literally enlisted all my, I mean, I was printing the shirts with my printer who was doing it out of his garage. I was, my whole family was folding them. We brought them to my work and my boss let me ship them out of there, you know, which was amazing. Um, but uh, what I'm trying to get at is the cease and desist came from New Line for the What Would Jason Do design because it was a hockey mask. And I said, okay, I'm going to take all of your trademarks out of that and redo the hockey mask. And I'm going to put this out instead. And, and I was kind of, I wouldn't say being a jerk, but I was trying to play a certain hand. And they said, well, as long as it doesn't say Friday the 13th, you, you know, okay. And I did. And the next day, Hot Topic bought like three or 4,000 of them. And That's then incredible. as soon as we got that order filled, they ordered another three or 4,000 of them. It was crazy. So all 2006 was doing that. But I was trying to work on getting licensing and I just... I was starting small and I tried to get Halloween and I was, I felt like I was getting somewhere and the door closed. And again, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I'm glad I didn't get some of these licenses back then. Cause I wouldn't have known the first thing. I'm <laughs> glad I started the way I did. Cause I got smaller licenses that we got bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones. And I just, every license though, I learned something new. Like I would get an agreement and be like, what does that mean? And I'd have to either research it or ask or do all these things. And then I get another agreement and to be like, I have to add them to my business insurance. How does that? Holy cow. I got to talk to my, it, it was like this thing. Now it's like a much different story, but like it was, you know, for a few years there, you're just learning a lot and trying to juggle the fact that we were still selling unlicensed stuff at the time. So I'd always have to like pull like unlicensed stuff from the company I was trying to get licensing from off the website and try to get the license. It was, you know, look, it was, it was what it was. Right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I was just trying to get, make a go of it, but I, my whole point though, was like, if I could do it licensed, I, I would feel better. You know, I yeah. would just feel better about it. Just sleep better um, at night. I'd, yeah. I, you know, it was one of those things where I wanted to be able to, if my kids ever looked at what I did or asked me about what I did, I didn't want to be like, ah, oh, your dad, you know, basically makes stuff, I, you know, illegally, if you will, and sells it. Like, I didn't like that. You know, I knew it was a means to an end, but I didn't like that aspect of it. So I always worked to try to not do that. And, you know, I, I know a lot of other companies weren't doing that at the time and, and, you know, now a lot of companies do, which is great. So, um, yeah, it was always my goal and I'm just fortunate that we were able to do that, but yeah, it's, it's certainly a learning curve for sure. And an expensive one too. Uh, when, when did you transition to the, the model of enlisting other graphic artists to kind of, uh, submit designs and whatnot? Cause I, I know, so Gary's done work with you guys. Um, our buddy, Matt Tobin's done work with you guys. Um, so when did that sort of come to be? That was, it was around 2004. So, you know, I would come up with my own work and, and look, I did it because, and, and, and I look back at some of those old designs, I go, woof, those are pretty gnarly. <laughs> um, not good. Uh, some people still like them. I just look at them and go, oh, you know, it's so amateurish. But anyway, look, I, I was just doing what I was doing. Right. So 
I realized that some of the ideas I had, I could probably draw them. I could probably sit down and really take some time and design them in the computer or whatever. But I realized like, you know, maybe I should enlist help from, from people that can do this better than I can. You know, I, I, early on, I realized I wanted to sell horror t-shirts. I didn't want to necessarily print horror t-shirts, right? Like yeah. hand print them myself. I had a guy to do that for me because I transitioned to a guy that was right around the corner from my work who printed them out of his garage for the first like five years of, of our business. And even the design part, as much as I loved design and designing, I knew I could at least be the art director. I could give ideas, but I also liked artists having their own ideas Yeah, because I love working with artists. So what really sparked it first was um, a couple ideas I had. Actually, one of them was the silver bullet uh, wheelchair, the, the, the bike that he drives. I just couldn't technically do that. It was going to take me forever. And I knew a guy who was in the mass community, Crash Cunningham, actually, if you look him up. I was like, dude, could you like render this for me? And he did it and he did a couple other for me. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, and I paid him, I forgot what. And then this guy, Danny Miller contacted me. He's like, hey, I have a design. Would you want to do it? And that was the first time anyone ever came to me with like a fully formed work. And I was like, how how does this work? I don't know how this works. Do I just pay you like a flat fee? And he didn't know. And we were trying to figure it out. (laughs) And at the time I was like, this could be really cool. Like, it kind of opened my mind and it took me a while to come around to it because I wasn't sure how it would work. And unfortunately he vanishes, don't hear from him. And then I end up working with a few other artists. I think I'm trying to remember the timeline of events. Funny enough, he pops up like a year later with a competing t-shirt site with that, with that oh, design. No. And a few other. It's like, dude, what the hell? And uh, we, we, we've since hashed everything out he's a great dude that's the only reason why i bring it up there's no ill will there at all and it was all good but uh it was a little at first i was like what's going on there uh but uh yeah so this looks familiar kind of, yeah. I, yeah and then i met jeff zorno and and he and i just became really good friends and he just did great work and he had so many great ideas and i thought oh let's let's work together and then you just start meeting artists or seeing people online and like oh my god i want to work with that person and then it just kind of spirals from there yeah. I mean, the network, We I've found out about personally, you know, a ton of great artists through uh, some of the contributors that you've had um, do some of your stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I love that model, too, um, because it's pretty, you know, it's comprehensive and it gets a lot of different uh, perspectives and leads to some really great art. So, yeah. And I feel like everybody does that now. Mondo, Waxwork. And yeah. like we still find and discover new artists all the time through Waxwork Records. Yeah. It's fun. Oh I yeah, think... they're great at that. I love seeing their 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 artwork, and obviously, you know, Mondo for many years. Like um, Justin Ishmael, he used to be the the head of that uh, company. He and I were good friends, and um, I. It's funny. I'm only saying this because Jason has said this publicly, and he puts it in the book. So I'm I'm, I'm not trying to. Um, there's no ego here, but I did introduce Jason Edmiston to Mondo, which is pretty hilarious. Oh, that's um, awesome. Justin Ishmael had written me because. We had an event um, here in town where we brought in Tom Atkins and Fred Decker for a weekend. And on Friday night, we did Halloween 3 in the Fog. And then on Saturday night, we did Monster Squad and Night oh of the Oh, my God. And, yeah. uh, I can't even. That weekend, I mean, that weekend was amazing because 
Tom and Fred and I hung out like every night drinking. They were telling stories. It was incredible. Oh Tom, I mean, they're just both great guys. It was just incredible. But we did this poster. We call it Monster Creeps. And it was the blend of Monster Squad and I, the Creeps. And Jason Edmiston, um, someone had introduced me to him at the time, his artwork. And I'm like, he's great, but I don't know how we would get that on a T-shirt. Because at the time, we couldn't do full color process like we can now. I'm like, I would love to work with him. but And he was only doing like pop culture stuff at the time. He wasn't really doing anything horror that I noticed. But I'm like, well, we want a poster. I could get him to do the poster. So he did the poster, um, which came out amazing. And I had uh, Tom and Fred, they signed them. I think I, well, maybe Fred signed that one and Tom signed another one we did. We called Season of the Fog. It was a uh, part of Howling 3 and the Fog mixed together. It was like a remix, right? Oh, my God. Um, I love it. <laughs> but I had Tom and Fred sign one just for me, and I had it up in our office. But anyway, uh, which sold out like crazy. Justin Ishmael writes to me, he's like, who is that guy that did that poster? I'm like, oh, it's this guy, Jason Emerson. He's super nice. And of course, like for the event, Jason, Gary uh, came down, like uh, Justin Erickson, they all came down for the event, which was so cool because Toronto is only like three hours away from me. It's right, like not that far, it's just across the border. Um, so it's great to meet them. I think that might have been the first time I ever met Gary in person, certainly the first time I met Jason or even Justin Erickson in person. And uh, it was just such a blast. This was 2010. Um, and then Jason started doing work for Mondo after that. And it's funny because I never really, like, whatever. It, you know, things happen. It's this great community, whatever. But yeah. I'm always I'm always humbled that Jason does recount that that story, too. Because, look, he would have been, and the other reason why I say this is because he would have been found anyway. I didn't discover anything, right? Like, Jason is so freaking good. He would have been noticed probably a day later, right? Like it, it had nothing. I really don't believe it had anything to do with me per se. It was just nice to know that I was able to make that connection to him. That's an amazing um, thing to have. And no, I, yeah, I, I is, totally yeah. understand what you're saying too. Uh, and that's, that's such a cool story about, I mean, all those names that you just uh, referenced um, within the creator community, as well as uh, the, the horror community of uh, Fred Decker and, and Tom Atkins. That's incredible. <laughs> Do you still do those screenings, those are, Ben? Um, yeah, we. So that was at a different theater. That was at the Eastman Theater. Um, but the, uh, there's another theater, an art house theater called The Little. And, and we started eight, and then 2009, or it was one of those years, we did a 24 hour horror thing. And I really got to be good friends with projectionist Roy, um, who worked there. And he's like, you know, we should do this more often. I was like, okay. And then a few years later, we did like a screening. We just like Friday thirteenth or something, and then we would do them here and there, and we would set up to sell shirts. And then around two thousand fifteen, we did a whole month. We did five uh, movies in October, one a week. And then we're like, let's we should do this once a month. And so in two thousand sixteen, in April, we started Saturday Night Rewind, and it was on Saturdays in in at one a month, and then in October we would do every Saturday, and we would show a movie and you know, we promoted it with them. We got the, we, so at first we were only showing 35 millimeter prints and then that got harder to do later on certain movies, whatever, yeah. but uh, we would pay for the print. They would pay for the rights and we would promote it and people would come out. And then we started thinking, Oh, let's do some events. So in 2006, well, no, that was 2000. Yeah. Oh my God. I guess it was that first year we started starting rewind 2016. I was like, you know who I'd love to have come up here. <laughs> I, I love Joe Bob Briggs, man. That guy's awesome. And this is before last drive-ins. So this is, you know, because I remember him from my, the Monster Vision. Thing. Yeah. And uh, Justin Osborne, who is one of our main artists, he's like, dude, have you ever thought about doing a Monster Vision shirt? I'm like, yeah, that's like on my <laughs> list. So I'm like, 
let me see if I can find his contact info. And I reached out and I found it. And I'm like, can we do a shirt of Monster Vision and you? Because the, the trademark was dead on it. And he's like, yeah, go for it. I was like, cool. Hey, would you want to come up to Rochester and do like a like one year kind of because he does like intros to movies and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, sure. So my brother and I built a Monster Vision set. We we out of like holy shit aluminum siding. We made like the trail that's the faux trailer with like the inside and everything. We got the chair. We got the TV. Oh, dude. And so we showed the Warriors because he had a really cool thing about the New York subway and how it referenced, was it like ancient Greece or something? It was crazy. Yeah, he would, but I'll tell you, <laughs> he would. Yeah. yeah. And so it's so funny. So that weekend he comes up, it was a Friday night and I pick him up at the train station. He wanted to take a train. He was in New York and I, I've never met him in person. And I was like, how's it going? Good. And we were driving over to the hotel. He's like, Hey, you want to get something to eat? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> so we go down the street from the theater and there's this little like sunken, like beer garden type place for eating. And we're talking, we just talk about everything. And I mentioned something about cigars because I really like, I love cigars and bourbon and stuff. He goes, so it was towards the end of dinner. He's like, you said there's a cigar place around here. I'm like, yeah, it's right across the street. He's like, let's go have a cigar and some bourbon. I'm like, yeah, let's please. Oh yes. my God, dude. dude. So we were up until probably that night. We were probably up to like one, two in the morning. Take him back to his hotel. I get home, go to bed. The next day, uh, he had to come to the office because he was signing posters for the event. While he's signing posters, I took a picture of him and I, I tweeted it out. I get this DM from this Diana princess. She's like, oh, my God. And she was a customer of ours. She's like, I love Joe Bob so much. I'm going to meet him next week. I'm so nervous. I just, I love him. He's like my life. I'm like, that's amazing. Like, that's so cool. We are talking, like, he's really nice, whatever. So we were like messaging each other back and forth. That night, we, uh, he did the intro and it was like a 45 minute intro to the, to the Warriors thing, which was amazing. And when he walked off, I was in the lobby with, he walks up to the lobby and the movie was about to start. I'm like, oh, did you want to sit down and watch the movie? He goes, hey, let's go get another cigar of bourbon. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So we walked down the street. For the entire movie, sat there smoking and drinking, walked back to the uh, theater as the movie was ending so we could set up the whole set and then do a Q&A because uh, I was doing a Q&A with him. We do the Q&A. He's doing a meet and greet out in the lobby. We're done, packed up. It's like midnight. He goes, let's go back to that place. I'm like, okay. So we had, went back, had more cigars and bourbon until like three in the morning. Oh, my God. And dude. then uh, I picked him up the next day, went and had brunch, just me and him. And uh, then I dropped him off the train station and we've been working with him ever since. Uh, he's awesome. And of course, then last drive in. And then it's funny because a few months before the last drive in came out, uh, uh, Diana uh, or Casey, as she's known, uh, DM me. She goes, guess who's the new male girl? And I was like, holy shit, you've got to be kidding me. Like it blew my mind that she got this opportunity. Have you have you met any um, horror industry types that really like? knocked you out of your shoes like too nervous um yeah there was i mean like i know you met pj so souls like that had to be nerve-wracking well i'll tell you with pj she so she was another one i'll tell you that story too um i've met her throughout the years like i met her at my very first convention and throughout the years i'd see her and it, think about pj obviously you know again going back to halloween being my favorite movie yeah um we kind of would with PJ, it was weird for a lot of years. And I mean, weird for me because I would see her and she would act like she recognized me 
but I wasn't really sure if she did. And then she was like wearing our t-shirts, which is really cool. But I wasn't sure if there was like, if it was just like, Oh, Hey, like I kind of know you, but I don't type of thing. And I didn't want to assume that she knew who I was. You know what I mean? Like she might've just been very friendly with me because she's friendly with everybody. She's the best. But back in 2017, we reached out to have her come up for an event similar to the Joe Bob thing. And I said, you know, we want to have you come up. Uh, at the time I had just purchased an original 35 millimeter print of Halloween from like my own. Like that was like one of my Holy grails and we were going to show it at the little, and I wanted her to be there. Uh, not, I mean, we'd already shown it I think, the year before that. I can't remember, but either way, it doesn't matter. Like we were going to be showing it. Cause one of the things that happened when I bought that print, I said, I want to show this every year if we can. And we, you know, we're really good uh, friends with the studio who owns Halloween. So I, it's funny. They actually don't allow original 35 millimeter prints to be shown too often because a lot of them are so rough looking. They really mm. just want the digital oh, version yeah. shown. Yeah. So they'll only let a handful of people show it, us included. So we're very fortunate that we can That's amazing. keep that alive. Uh, so it is incredible. So um, reached out to her and she, uh, she wanted, um, it was going to be her and her boyfriend, Rob coming out. So same type of thing. They flew in Friday night. I pick them up. We go to the hotel. Uh, and again, we knew each other, but it, we weren't like friends, if you will, right? Like, it, I mean, we were friendly with each other, but it wasn't like we had no, like, it didn't feel like she was like some old friend, I guess, if that makes sense. There was still that element of like, okay, it's PJ and whatever. Oh my God. We get to the hotel and they're like, oh, is there like a place to eat around here? I'm like, oh, I have reservations at this Italian restaurant. They're like, you do? I'm like, well, yeah. What, what do you think I was going to do? Like, just, you know, let you fend for yourself or something, you know, like, oh, there's a pizza place on the street. We had a blast hanging out that night. Rob is amazing. It's the first time I ever met him in person. PJ, of course, is great. So the next day, our little crew for Saturday Night Rewind and here, Fright Rags, we were filming a short. And we had already done a lot of the footage throughout the summer. It was called November 1st. And it was basically, what does Michael do the day after Halloween? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we really wanted her to be in it. So we had her. She was totally cool with it. And it's funny because she was like, yeah, yeah, I can do it or whatever. We brought her to the set, which was basically this um, uh, this little cafe next to the theater. She was blown away. She's like, oh, my God, you guys. I thought it was just going to be like shot on an iPhone or something. And I'm like, no, we've got like pretty <laughs> professional equipment and stuff. And so I don't know if you guys have seen the short or not. It doesn't matter. But I play Michael Myers. And basically, he's like going through his day a little bit. And there's a moment where he walks into the shop and he's looking at like the bakery thing. And he sits up and she goes, do you see anything you like? And it's her. <laughs> and I, I just stand there blank. She's like, would you like a knife? And then it cuts to like the next scene. So here I am tripping out because I'm playing Michael Myers next to PJ. So I get it. It's a small little fan film. I'm not blowing I mean, this up. Man, right? no, but in my I mean, head, in my head, I've got a Michael Myers mask on and I'm, you know, next to PJ. And I did the whole sheet thing and we were doing uh, promos for the Saturday Night Rewind. We're shooting commercials. That was really fun. And we had a group dinner that night and we went to the theater. The theater was completely sold out and there was a meet and greet. Everything, this whole weekend and how everything flowed was incredible. And right before we, so meanwhile, our friend Eric ran home and like edited all the footage together to finally get this film done. So we're sitting there and we're in, so the balcony of this place only holds, it's like literally two small benches. It's a very small balcony over this theater. I'm sitting there next to my wife. In front of me is PJ and Rob. It's just us four in the balcony. And we're looking out over a sold out crowd. 
and we show November 1st and they turned around at me and they went, Oh my God, that was incredible. And then starts Halloween. It's my 35 millimeter print. And I'm sitting there with PJ watching this film. And I was like, how the hell, how the hell did I get here in my life? (laughs) Yeah. That's one of those moments where you're like, all right, I'm just going to float. Yeah. That's the moment you were talking about John. I made it. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, it was just a, I just soaked it in and we had a private party afterward where we had a special beer brewed. It was called the totally toasted coconut. Oh, Jesus Christ. And, um, (laughs) and then the next day I actually went to the airport with them because I was flying out to Texas for a, a, like a seminar that I was going to. And she was on the other side of the, and we have a small airport, but it was on the other side and we were texting each other and she's like, I wish I could just stay here. She goes, well, you know, it'd be amazing. And we have been like, she is so awesome. We've just been really great friends ever since like friends. And that's the cool thing. Like you get, yeah, she's still PJ soul. She's still from my favorite movie of all time and all of these things. But she first and foremost is like my friend. Like I can just text her anytime. Like she even texted me one random Sunday. It was like months after the event. She's like, Hey, I sent John and Rob, your the movie, they loved it, and it was Rob Zombie and and, and John Carpenter, and I was like, Oh my god! Oh, so John, wait, John and Rob, yeah, John and Rob. I was like, uh, John Carpenter saw something that we made, like that's crazy town, right? Like yeah. it was so. I don't know. It was just really, really cool. And I've had again, and I. It's hard when I talk about these things that I I never want to sound like I'm trying to brag about what's happened. It's just I'm literally looking at it almost like an out-of-body experience because i can't believe it's happened yeah. like i'm it's very much like a holy shit I, I what's happening right now like it doesn't feel like i don't know deserved or like it's supposed to be so it's very weird for me still but um well it doesn't sound yeah. yeah dude it doesn't sound braggy at all these are just incredible yeah, these are incredible stories like and you very much earned these uh accolades and stories man and to be honest with you you sitting down telling us this story we're going to be telling this story to our kids yeah. uh, like <laughs> you're telling us it's going to be like well no the night that we talked to Ben yeah uh, he's yeah. our friend no, it was <laughs> it, it, seriously it was you know um, yeah and then I guess the other time I, I don't know if you guys want to hear another one but like yeah, basically mm. um, I'll smoke a cigar time, right now <laughs> <laughs> it really hit me. Um, it was a couple of years ago. This again, another just moment. I was graciously invited to the set of Halloween kills when they were filming in October, 2019. Yeah, I saw that. And, um, I got to go there for a couple nights and be on the set. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And again, it was one of those things where I'm like, look, I'm just going to, I'm a, I'm a fly in the wall. I don't want to get anybody's way. I just, I'm just happy to be here. Right. Um, and I was there and I was sitting there in the, um, like the kind of video village where you have the, the monitors and stuff. It was the, it was all the outdoor scenes of the Hanfield hospital. So basically, um, the first moment when, when Lori and Karen and, um, and Allison ride up on the truck and they get her on the, the stretcher and pull her in. It was when the guy falls out of the window. It was when, sure. uh, yeah. Sheriff Brackett comes out. It was all those scenes that were on the outside. Um, and I'm sitting there in, well, first of all, they're like, oh, you need a place to sit. You know what? James isn't here tonight. Use his seat. And they open up the shapes, chairs, you know, the chairs is the shape <laughs> on the back. I'm like, okay. And yeah, I'm, I'm friends with a couple of the producers that so we're talking and, and 
Chris Nelson was showing me some of the effects they were doing and some of the stuff like they had shown me Loomis. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that's Loomis. Holy shit. Like I was freaking out. And I, w- I didn't really want to take many pictures because I don't want to be that guy. I didn't want to feel like it was weird and people were going to be like, what is he doing over here? But I was like taking out my phone and thinking, Oh, it was a nice sunset. I was going to take a picture. And I was like, Holy shit. That's Jamie Lee Curtis. Like that's like, like, like five feet away from me. I don't like, what the hell? And that was her first night back on set. And I'm sitting there and I was like, okay, that happened. Okay, interesting. <laughs> and as I turn, she literally comes out of nowhere and she's right next to me. Like she walks up to me and she's holding her her belly because she's got the, the appliance on and blood's everywhere. And I was like, oh, hi, um, you need a Band-Aid or something? And she's laughing. And uh, one of the producers was next to me and we just started talking for like 10 minutes. And uh, I didn't get a chance to really introduce myself, but... Um, we talked and we talked about knives out because it was coming out in a couple months and, or the next month. And she was just super, super amazing. And she's like, Oh, I'm going to go. There's fans across the street that are like kind of camping out. I'm going to go talk to them. Um, That's incredible. And it was amazing. Like the two nights I was there filming, uh, it was like just getting, getting to see all of them act and all. I mean, I was sitting next to Andy Matichek and, you know, we were, she was crocheting in between takes and like her phone went off and it was the Halloween theme. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so cool. Right. And like, we're just after a while, like, you know, everyone walks down the street to go to dinner together at craft services or, or you know, they have a big hall set up where you could get buffet stuff. And it was just, it was like a family. And like, you felt so welcome. Like, honestly, like David Gordon Green Camp, he was wearing a Halloween 78 jacket, which is cool. I got a picture with him. Um, oh, that's super cool. And it's just, it was amazing. And then during the day I got to go visit the, the sets of silver bullet. Cause it was in the same area. So I oh, yeah. Oh no way. That's um, incredible. Oh yeah. Cause it was in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. So like during the day I was in Tarker's mills and at night I was in Haddonfield and I was oh, tripping out. God. And like Dude. It, that was amazing. Cause I got to see all the stuff. So, you know, it's, it was pretty cool. And then, you know, we got to kind of link up with Jamie last year for Halloween kills. Cause I, I, we had linked up with her the year before. Um, Again, mutual friend uh, did an email intro because she wanted some of the lunch boxes for her charity, and I reached out to her last year about Halloween Kill stuff, and she was like, "Oh, I'd love to get some shirts." And we were talking back and forth, and I sent her some, and next thing you know, she's like posting herself on Instagram, and that's oh, like man. her and Demi Moore and Melanie Griffith wearing them, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what's Holy happening shit, right now?" Like. <laughs> We were freaking out. Like all of us on Slack were like, what's going on right now? Like she sent me an email. She's oh, I'm, I, there was a surprise for me tonight. And then it was like her and Melanie Griffith and Demi Moore and Paris Jackson and a few other people all lined up wearing all of, the, all of them wearing her Halloween kills long sleeve. And she's like, I'm posting this on Instagram tonight. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, what is happening right now? Um, but she's super cool. And again, it's like one of those full circle moments, you know, you're like, I don't know. It's just, it's trippy, but I'm very grateful, very humble that, I mean, I didn't ask for any of that. I didn't, I was just like, Hey, I'm going to send you a box of stuff for you, just for you. I'm not asking for you to promote it or wear it anywhere. I'm not, that wasn't like the goal. It was just to give it to her. And she was like promoting that crap out of it. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's awesome. So she's just amazing. Amazing. Man. Yeah. We, uh, we have a little run of apparel we've done for for the podcast, and we we sent uh, Nathan Basil a shirt after he was on the show, and he uh, sent me a picture of him drinking his coffee wearing the shirt, 
uh, just thanking us. And then that was one of those moments for Jamie and I where yeah. I was like, how this is weird. Yeah. That we got here. Somehow. Amazing. <laughs> Nathan, he's the coolest man. Oh, he, he is, is so cool. He is dude. so yeah. kind. And we just had a great time talking to him and, uh, incredibly down to earth. And, um, yeah, we, uh, that, that movie too, um, behind the mask. That's such an, like, uh, such integral an, part of our like horror lives. Dude, yeah. such a very important movie to both of us. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just so cool to be able to talk to him. He is, you're right. That movie, that was a seminal moment in, in again, horror rethinking itself. That really stood out when it came out. And Nathan was a huge part of that. He oh is gosh, so yeah. damn good in that film. I actually, I got to read the script for the second one. And it was amazing. And I wish they could have gotten the money to put that. I don't know what happened really. Um, but yeah, we would see Nathan at shows and uh, we hung out with him. We were out in LA it was in 2013, I think it was the first Halloween convention that we did. We got to hang out with him a little bit out there, which was really cool. Um, but he's just the coolest guy. Like, yeah, he's he so, su- like you said, down to earth, super nice. Like yeah. just amazing. Yeah. And he just, the stories he was telling too about how they were like mid filming and they were like, Oh yeah. Um, Robert England's going to be here tomorrow. Uh, we were able to pin him down for, for the role that, you know, that's been outstanding. And just the way he just told the story and how it unfolded, it was just like so honest and, and interesting. And, and I guess that's, it, it just felt like how much I liked that movie. Uh, I, I was just so happy to know. Cause it's like you get in your mind, uh, when you are fans of something or someone or, or whatever, like, oh, in my brain, like, that's how this is, or that's how that is, or, or, or what. And then you, then you talk to that person, you're like, oh man, that didn't go how I thought it would. Uh, but when it does, when it does, you're like, it's just the best moment. And, and that was one of those moments, uh, where after the fact, we were just like, man, that was the kindest. Um, oh my God. Yeah. We were floating after that, uh, conversation. Yeah. And it just felt like, the way he described the way the, the movie came together, it was like, that's what I, you know, I didn't know those that's details, how I wanted but that's it how like to come together. This just mm. is like the full circle for yeah. why I love this movie so much. And it just makes sense that it came together in that capacity because yeah, like hearing him talk about like the library scene, which is like such a dude. great scene, like hearing him talk about that and just like the little like nuances was just amazing. Yeah. I think I asked him, I was like, did you ad lib the paradise lost? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like him talking about Zelda Rubenstein, oh, dude. like just stuff like that was so cool. Yeah. So cool. That had such a great cast, right? Zelda Rubenstein, uh, Robert England, Scott Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Um, even, uh, Oh my God, I feel bad for getting her name, but the main girl from home alone, yeah, from home alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, do you guys want to jump into some formative horror films? Yeah. All right. Ben, you picked some amazing ones, man. I think these were formative for all of us. Um, oh, good. So, Ben, you uh, you quickly responded. So sometimes I'll tell people, like, hey, we've got some options here. We're thinking about doing this. Um, and I emailed you, and you got right back, like, these are the three. Uh, and you knew uh, exactly for formative horror. Love so uh, you want to introduce the first one here from 1985? Yes, that is Silver Bullet, starring Corey Haim and Gary Busey. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. 
And again. What was that? It's over there. Don't point that at me. Nobody knew who or what was responsible. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense. Gary, the first Uncle thing. Uncle Red. The first thing I have written on this this notebook is Gary fucking Busey because <laughs> <laughs> he's so so like his one liners in so this movie. Amazing. Oh, the quips and like uh what it, the honesty of his character too. Like when um. At the end of the movie, it's very uh, reminiscent of the Burbs that came out a couple years later, uh, when when Art and Tom Hanks are standing there, and the wife is like getting ready to leave for the lake, and they're like wave, waving her off. Carrie Fisher's driving out, uh, and Uncle Red's standing there. He's like, "You're you're gonna hurt your head if you keep popping in and out of the window yeah. like that." <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, we we got to get to work uh, after after that departure happened. Uh, but yeah, I just love that scene, and and his his one liners are insane in this he's he's unbelievable <laughs> and he doesn't chew the scenery up he just like no like, he doesn't no so uh ben why is this movie important to you man um but no i mean i agree with everything you just said you're right like he's like subdued busey in some ways but he's still very busey but um you know i think my first memory that I can recall was getting it on VHS actually with my brother and my now sister-in-law. Um, I think it was just because I was always interested in werewolves. That was like, in terms of creatures, that was what I gravitated to. The Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr. was my favorite Me too. Universal monster film. Yep. So um, I I forgot exactly why I wanted to run it. This would have been, I guess this probably would have been 86 seven ish because i didn't see it right when it came out so but it was on home video um we got it we watched it and i loved it and what the reason why it became formative for me um it was because it was the following year i'll never forget it um by that time i was like because my my siblings were older than me i felt like there was a lot of, i felt like an only child because my brothers were always gone like my one brother was in the service for a while and, and my you know so i was always like kind of do my own thing and Wednesday nights my parents and my sister um would go to choir practice at our church and I was left home alone from about six six thirty to about ten thirty at night and this is when I was like nine years old ten years old eleven that type of age so I was still you know young enough and this is a school night but Wednesday nights on our local channel uh, 31, which is the Fox affiliate, we didn't have cable at the time. They showed horror movies on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. And I remember Silver Bullet was going to be on. And this was 1988. Um, so I would have been 11. And it was the Wednesday before Halloween. And I'll never forget because I really wanted to tape it. So I put in a VHS tape. I was taping it, commercials and everything. I remember, I'll never forget, um, it was right before... Uh, was it, is it Tammy, his little kind of girlfriend love interest right yeah. before her dad gets killed, there was a commercial break and they showed a preview for Halloween two, which was oh, going to be oh. aired on Halloween night, which is a cool commercial. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, I had that tape and I watched it 
every year in the fall. And that was like a trigger for me to like really get into that Halloween spirit. It was like your transition film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was usually in September. I would watch it on a Saturday afternoon playing with my Hot Wheels cars or something. And then I would go out on my bike. And, you know, I think there was a lot of this youthful sort of like, you know, following uh, Marty, you know, Corey Hain. It was from his perspective, right? So I was around that age and I felt like I was him in a way. And I felt like, and again, it goes back to this thing like a, like nowadays with the stranger things going on in your bike or whatever, doing these things. It, and I loved the music. I loved the vibe. I loved everything about it. And so I've literally watched that movie minimum once every year for the last uh, 34 years, if not twice or three times. Um, literally every year without fail. I don't unfortunately have that tape anymore. I had since bought it on VHS and then of course DVD and then finally Blu-ray. I bought yeah. the German Blu-ray before <laughs> you could get it, the American version. I bought a region free player so I could watch it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just adore that movie. I actually, speaking of Gary Busey and it's out of frame here, but around the corner, I have this, um, it's a, it's the VHS poster that like the, that we put up in the video store, you know? So it's yeah. not the, it's the movie poster, but it's, you know, now on video cassette. I have that signed by Gary and it says, Ben, the werewolf are dead. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? And I was like, going to correct him when he, I'm like, you know what? That's the coolest, busiest thing ever. And it's actually perfect. And it's framed and it's hanging right outside my, my thing. I love that so <laughs> much. <laughs> the werewolf. <laughs> The werewolf are dead. Yeah, it's like the werewolf or the werewolf is dead. Yeah, it's like, sorry. I'm, oh, the werewolf is dead. Like, <laughs> like he was going to pluralize it, but he didn't. Like, it's grammatically, it's completely messed up. But I'm like, thank you, Gary. Like, thank you for doing that. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, you don't want just a standard cookie cutter uh, signature no. from Gary. <clears throat> yeah, no. and I feel like, Ben, you're totally right. This film... definitely has levity to it it feels it's like light and fluffy and airy almost and um there's these scenes of intense like violence that that happen the practical effects are super uh intense and they're and they're grotesque and like Corey hames scenario is is terrible right he's paralyzed and um and he's got this uncle who's like his his beacon of hope almost and that guy has tons of problems. So there are these like underlying tensions that occur within the movie, which is crazy, but it still feels like very light and, uh, and, and approachable. And the way that it's like weighted, it's so it's really successfully and well done. Um, and, and yeah, dude, the, the fall time, definitely great time to, to dip into this movie. I feel like it's a, a good transition film. And I absolutely love that story about you recording it and having it on, um, on a on a nice VHS uh, that you probably hand wrote. Uh, oh yeah, oh, it was all handwritten. I, I it was on a Kodak tape. I'll never forget it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're you know it's funny you mentioned that because like again you watch a film and you get to know it so well, but then when you start really piecing it, teasing it apart, like you've got this wonderful music which I listen to like all throughout the fall. Like that Jay Chataway soundtrack is on all the time. It's great. But you've got this this wonderful like joyride like kind of upbeat cheesy song but i love it so much and then you've got scenes like you just said like even when everett mcgill 
the Reverend Lowe is walking oh, through that so covered bridge. And like yeah. when he's like, and he's saved and he, like the light comes on his face <laughs> and he's just like, and he's got that. Oh my God. Like mm. it's giving me chills thinking about it. Cause that guy is bad ass. Like, yeah. Talk about someone who's on a bucket list to meet like Everett McGill. I mean, not only him, like there's twin peaks and there's, you know, yeah. um, people on upstairs, but like that ro- role alone, oh, like, wow. Um, twin peaks I actually, is one of my favorite, that and oh, X files are probably my two favorite shows of all times. Ah, oh, so good. Um, I just want to say this one quick story, if I may. We were at uh, Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and we're always there every year. And we're in the same spot every year. And we're in the hallway, and the vendor room is down the hall from us. And behind us is a ballroom where they, at the time, used to do autographs. Across from us was um, windows going out to the kind of patio area, and there's like a door there. And there's vendors set up along there, too. I'm just setting kind of the, the stage for you. So this was in... I'm going to get the date wrong. I want to say 2008. Corey Haim was there. Oh my God. And he was set up literally in the room behind us. And I'm not even kidding you. Every five minutes, I don't know how many autographs he signed because every five minutes he was going out to have a cigarette. Right. Oh yeah. And I, uh, he came out one time and I talked to him for a few minutes and I, I have, a picture with him wearing my silver bullet shirt that I did originally that oh, one dude. of the, of the, the wheelchair bike. Um, and that you know, we're kind of, you know, together like this. And I would see him like when I go outside to like talk to my wife and kids on the phone, he'd be out there and he'd like look over at me. Cause he was, he's always hitting on some woman. He's like, oh, yeah, check this girl out. Like it, like, <laughs> oh it was this kind of thing back and forth all weekend. Um, and it was funny that he actually knocked over this dude's across from us, like all his comic books um, who were on this rack that he was selling. And it was right next to the door when Cor- Corey was probably not, you know, sober most yeah. of the weekend, unfortunately. But he came in the door and the guy went to hold the door for him, but he burst in sort of. It was a weird thing. We watched it all unfold and he hit the guy's rack and everything oh, came no. down. And Corey was like, Oh, dude, I'm sorry. And he goes to give my friend a hug. And my friend was like, Oh, like, get the fuck out of here. Like, he was so pissed. And Corey's like, Oh, and he, of course, rushes back to the room. Now, unfortunately, and again, I it, I don't remember the exact date. Um, but anyway, he had passed not too long after that. And the only reason why I remember that, and I, again, I can't remember the dates, but the next show we did, he, he had already passed. I mean, obviously, it's not like he would have been at that show anyway. Our friend was setting up his stuff and like he got everything set up and the racks came down and we go, Oh my oh God, my gosh, dude. <laughs> he's fucking with them. So um, anyway, it was a, it was, you know, there wow. was, I'm just, dude. I'm grateful to have met him yeah. um, and talked to him a little bit and, and give him a shirt of silver bullet. Cause it meant a lot to me. Uh, it's a really cool guy um, when I did see him. So. Mm. Yeah. I Man. got chills when you, I know talked about the rack. I'm a gigantic Corey Haim fan. Uh, John and I always argue because he's more of a Feldman guy. And I'm always like, no, you're wrong, John. Well, I think, so the Burbs for me is, I know I've mentioned it twice now, and I'll keep, before the end of this, I might be up to 10 or 15, but the Burbs <laughs> is definitely one of my probably top top five, top 10, depending yeah. on the day. And, uh, you know, Cor- the the right Corey was in that one for me, so... It's the Burbs is one of those movies for both of us that it's a seasonal, so we'll watch it like forty times within yeah. like a one month period. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. You're, you're referencing your uh, kind of your habitual like timelines when you watch films. Uh, we definitely mm-hmm. have that same same thing. And there are a couple movies that we like will save for like one watch per year. And it'll be like, OK, I'm going to sit down and make a bowl of popcorn, like make a production out of this. Yeah, and an then yeah. yeah. And then there's like, I know what you did last summer. That's just on. Yeah. I'll be working and I'll <laughs> just like, OK, I watched yeah. it literally 15 times this a- week. April just through week. September. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the burbs in rear window are like my summer movies oh, that I nice. just constantly Those are have great. On. I mean, both of them are amazing summer mm. films. Yeah. I mean, you feel summer in yeah. those movies, like especially rear window, you feel the heat. Um, yeah, the dude. burbs, you're right. It's like the perfect, like, like late June, early July, like a For flick sure. you put on it. Like, I don't know, like 10 at night on like a Friday night or oh. Thursday night or something. Like it's just perfect. Those are the days, the days of the year when you, when you wake up and it's 6am and it's like already <laughs> muggy outside and you're like, Oh, okay. This is what we're going to yep. deal with today. Like you can cut the air. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those kind of movies and I, I just love it for that. And it's definitely both those films for me are very kid friendly and that I have them on constantly throughout the summer and my, oldest particularly has really come to love the burbs um almost as much as i do she loves art's character and uh yeah so that's awesome my family loves them too actually my kids uh and my and my wife loves that movie too so it's one that we've watched more than once as a family oh that's great man yeah so great to hear all right do we want to jump to our next one Jamie, yeah anything else to say about silver bullet i don't know i was thinking i think I we're good over yeah. there i was i was mulling <laughs> Any Gary Busey quotes you want to drop? God, that Uncle Red. (laughs) He is one. Who's your guy's favorite character? Is it Corey Hamer or Uncle Red? Or Everett McGill? I guess we could go there too. (sighs) Mine is Uncle Red. It's just got to be. Even though I love Corey Hamer. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Piss on the Yankees. Dude, dude, that's all I can think of. Yeah. Piss on the Indians. Managers, managers. Like he's infinitely quotable in that film. Like it's, it's just insane. You know, feel like a virgin on prom night, which is a. I think I think that's in the contract where he has to say that in every single film he's in because he literally <laughs> says that in every film he's in. Um, but I don't care. I, I I'll hear him say that till the day I die. But uh, I don't know, man. Uncle Red has probably got to be. Yeah, I. Uh, like, can you imagine I, that I movie without all. him? Like I could imagine that movie without no. Corey Haim. You could put any kid in there, but you can't put just any Uncle Red in there. No, and his his relationship too with his sister. I mean, it's just it's very mm. authentic feeling. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I didn't mean to diminish Corey Haim's performance there. Um, I I just think that Uncle Red brings hey, Jamie, it. Jamie, what's your fucking yeah, sorry, problem? guys? <laughs> Team Feldman here, I guess. All right, so if Corey Feldman were in the movie, <laughs> would it be better or worse? <laughs> That's the question. Ugh. Worse. Sorry. Sorry. You could have Corey Feldman no, as Uncle Red now. Corey Feldman Let's do a remake dude, with him dude. as Uncle Red. Let's do that. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. That'd be perfect. Ben, I think you know the right players, man. So if you plant some seeds. Yeah, get this going, Ben. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's in the works. All right. Let's head to our next film. Uh, Jamie, do you want to introduce this one? I do. Yeah. All right. So this is... 1982's Friday the 13th Part 3. (laughs) 
Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Yes. So another pick from Ben here. And mm. uh, this is uh, Steve Miner. He did part yeah. two. He also did part three. Um, and this has our boy, Larry Zerner, in it. We were just talking it about does. Uh, Tracy Savage. Dude. Richard, Richard Brooker is Jason yeah. in this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This, okay, so this movie for me, I will say, might be... I know you love this one. I do. Yeah. I love this movie so much. And I, I emailed Ben um, prior to the to the session when he, he sent his three movies over. And I said, I think I'm two for three with you. Yeah. Um, Silver Bullet not being um, one of my three. Uh, I do love the movie. Just not, I wouldn't have picked it for formative for sure. me. Yeah. Uh, but this this one for sure. And I, I wane between two, three, and four, like somewhere in, in there. Um, but... The, the final girl in this one, I think, is what uh, lacks just a little bit for me. And the, But the friend group mm-hmm. is like one of my favorite friend groups. Like, I love that friend group. The stoner couple is so good. Shelly, his character is so fantastic. Uh, his relationship with his love interest is so good. Um, the yo-yo um, with, with the pregnant. Like, just I, I absolutely love the friend group in this one. Well, the couple at the beginning. You have to yeah. love them. Do, yeah. The opening sequence of this to this film is my favorite yeah. of the entire uh it's my favorite op- opening sequence of any friday 13th part, right uh film and yeah dude well you know what i really love about the friend group in this one is this is one of the f- only films that you see the friend group outside of the woods right like in part four they're driving up but like this yeah. is the one where you see them like before the trip to the woods and like i think that might be the only friday movie that you see that really and then their mm-hmm. departure to the convenience store as well, right? Of course. Yeah, the little Which is, excursion. And uh, I feel like so much of this movie takes place in the barn, uh, which is yeah, which is also great. But yeah, Ben, com- just totally on the same page with you on this, but uh, love to hear your thoughts about uh, why this is one of your formative horror films. Yeah, I think uh, it honestly goes back to those summers that my, my buddy and I would ride our bikes up to uh vbo and and rent movies and you know i loved you know at the time it probably you know because i i started watching the friday 13s kind of as they started coming out um on video i should say uh, i did see part seven in the theater and and that was what 87 i guess 88 um but anyway but I would start running them and watching them. And I remember seeing part one on TV and stuff. And, and I liked part one, but it was never my favorite at the time. Uh, even though, I mean, I love that movie and of course love it now. But I mean, at the time when I was a kid, um, I hadn't, it, it was okay. It was fine. But three is what grabbed me. And I know like, look, six is one of my favorites. Four, uh, three, four, six, and seven are like among like the top for me. And then two is up there too. Amy Steele is my favorite final girl. Yeah, 100%. I mean, she's absolutely, she's amazing too as a person. And she's just, I love her in that movie. And I love part two a lot. But there was something about part three. And I think, I don't know what it was, but I I think it was kind of what you guys touched on, them driving up to the camp. It wasn't as 
this is going to sound weird. It never felt as woodsy of a film as others had. It felt like that barn was a different feel to me than it was in uh, than than other films. Um, I don't know for whatever reason it felt almost like a like a ranch or something, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. There's something about it, and I and again, I'm only kind of putting this together in my brain now, but uh, it, it felt different than other. It didn't feel like oh, these are because they weren't camp counselors. You know, that was like probably the first one that they weren't counselors, right? Yep. So it was like, yeah. it was a different feel. And also, I mean, obviously Jason gets his mask, but I love the look of Richard Brooker. Um, I love the look of the mask on him. I love the way he plays Jason. I um, mean, I love Ted White in part four, and I freaking love Kane Hodder, of course, and even yeah. CJ Graham or whatever. But um, I agree. Dana Kimmel wasn't my favorite final girl. She was definitely, definitely lacking, but the friend group was awesome. Um, I remember, so a couple things I want to say about that. Like, I just remember renting it all a lot. And I'll never forget my buddy and I, um, another friend of mine. It's funny when you associate things with movies. Um, we were in the, my woods that were down the end of my street playing and he was spending the night. We were going to watch Friday the part three. And I remember putting that, if you guys ever heard of it, absorbing junior all over my mosquito bites yeah. and that smell. Every time I smell that, I think of Friday 13 part three, but we were watching the movie. My brother was around somewhere with his buddy. I think they were gone or something. We were watching it. We had popcorn. And it was the scene where the very first scene with the, um, the couple at the store there, she looks out the window, sees somebody walk behind, sees Jason behind the sheets, turns her TV and then turns back and he's gone. And that moment, my brother and his friend came through the screen door in front of us with a hockey mask on and our popcorn went everywhere. I love um, that. <laughs> so that was a funny moment. But years later in early 2000s, 2002, 2003, uh, BBO was going out of business like mom and pop stores were doing. And yeah. I went up there and she was selling off all of her old stuff. And I found Friday 13 part three, the tape that, we rented as kids and I'm like, I want to buy this. And she's like, well, let, let me see when the last time it was rented. And then the last time it was rented was a few years before that. And it was me and my friend had rented it. And uh, she sold me that tape for seven bucks and I still have it at the office. We have a video oh, uh, wall. Dude, that's amazing. All old VHS. And I have that tape and mm. that's the physical tape that I would rent every, probably every week as a kid. But, um, so, and there's a lot of, that's one of the reasons why it's so formative for me. I just, I love that movie so much. And I got to see it in 98, I think it was 98 or 99 in 3d in a theater. Um, it was amazing. And then I bought that stupid old VHS system that had like the big glasses that you had to tether to your thing. Yeah, and yeah. I bought like a bootleg version of it in 3d and it never worked. <laughs> and then a couple of years ago, a buddy of mine was like, dude, I've got a Blu-ray copy of it in 3D because my home theater setup, I have a, in my home theater room, I have a 110-inch uh, projection, their screen projector and surround sound and all that stuff. He's like, I got it in 3D and it's 3D as well. I'm like, no way. But so got a copy from him and my, it, that movie, and again, I'd seen it in 3D once, it was real 3D once. That movie is so, and I mean real 3D, not like blue and, and, and like red, yeah, yeah. like actual 3D. That movie is a million times better in 3D. And then, of course, Scream Factory actually put it out legitimately, and I got that too. But, oh, my God, that movie is 
it was my favorite in 2D, and it is like by far my favorite in 3D. It's like oh. one of the best 3D experiences ever. Actually, it's actually like it's you're sitting there literally reaching out of the screen because those letters come out of you and all the credits and all that stuff. When she's in the 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 pitchfork of going through um uh fox's neck and all that stuff like all of those things really stick out it's like a yo-yo i mean that yeah yeah it's literally <laughs> you're ducking it's it's amazing it's it's incredible the three movies from that era are are amazing to watch even at home they're awesome i i have to ask so you said you saw part seven in the theater so like part seven is kind of revered as like kane hodder's first movie um, as Jason and like people love it for that fact. Like, is that something you guys thought about when you went to the theater to see it? Like, oh god, this guy Kane is fucking Jason, or was it just kind of like an, an afterthought? You know? No, I honestly at the time did not. I don't know if I understood or really realized at the time who was playing what where. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. I you know I was ten or eleven years old when it came out. And you're like Jason. I was is Jason. Like, yeah, it's the new Jason film, and I saw the 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 TV spots for it, and I thought he looked amazing. And that's still probably my favorite look of Jason. Like yeah. I know and Richard Brooker has too. I, I think of Jason as pre-zombie, post-zombie, if you will. Like yeah, sure. And that's yeah. all like up to four, and then you got five as a palate cleanser, and then six on. Six on part seven is hundred percent my favorite look of Jason, and probably my favorite Jason film next to part six. I know. I, I, I think seven is edged up over six over the years. I love, I mean, I think Kane is the quintessential Jason. I mean, period. Yeah. Um, but I actually got to meet Richard Brooker at a show. Um, and we were, we were actually at a party. Um, we were at like one of, you know, they used to do a lot of shows, you know, Oh, you're invited to the a party, whatever. And it was actually, this one happened to me in George Romero's room and it was a whole bunch of us. And it's like, Richard Brooker and Joe Pilato and it's like all these people but like the one thing that stuck out to me is the music was pretty loud and Richard Brooker stood up and was like hey turn that down <laughs> the person turned it down I was like oh shit Jason just told that guy to turn the music down like, and and they listened. Was like six, he was like six four six five he was pretty tall but you're just this guy I'm talking to but holy shit you're Jason yeah. you know what I mean like at first like your brain is like trying to like figure it out and you can't and it's it's so wild and that was like it was with him it was like one of my first shows that's incredible. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I went to my first horror convention last last November uh, in Chicago, wow. and I met both Adrian King and, and Amy Steele. Um, and I kind of I went into this the situation like ah, I don't know if I'm going to pay for an autograph. And then I was like walking, and I was like, "Wait, Adrian King's like literally sitting like right here." Like I I don't understand. And then I was like talking to her, and I was like, "Wait, how much?" Um, let me go get as much money as I can because I'll give you a million dollars to sign anything right now. Oh and, yeah, especially her and Amy. They're they're the best. Like, oh they're god, the and they were just so kind and like, yeah, they were amazing. They were so cool to talk to. <laughs> I'll tell you, most everybody you'll meet are pretty amazing. Um, definitely some more than others. Um, but Amy and Adrian, like, uh, again, another example of like Amy. Of, of her and I kind of like becoming friends over the years. And like, you know, we see each other's shows, we'll go out to dinner or lunch or whatever and just hang out. And like, she's just the coolest. Like, yeah. It, what you see is what you get. And same with Adrian. Like, Adrian is just so cool. Like, we did, um, we did a cool, uh, poster several years ago called The Survivors. And I got Adrian, Amy, um, Dana and Kimberly back from part four 
Um, I wanted, we had a poster with all of them on it and it had Jason in the bottom and the wall was Adrian in the canoe and we wanted them to sign it. Um, and we were donating the proceeds to four different charities, one, one of each they're choosing for domestic violence. And, um, it was a complete and utter mess trying to get the whole poster signing thing because I was going to fly to Chicago and be with them to sign it. And my flight kept getting delayed and delayed oh, and dude. delayed. And here I am sitting in Rochester and my friend had taken the posters and I had rented out this uh, room in a, in a restaurant for, cause it was before the show <laughs> on Friday. I had rented out this room in a restaurant where they were going to go meet and be together and sign the posters together. It was just the easiest way to do it. And my friend had the posters. I already shipped them ahead of time, but I was flying out there. By the time I got out there, they had been there. Now, I had been on the phone with Kimberly and I think Adrienne or whatever, and they were telling me how it was going. And she said, Kimberly went and got a taxi to get more Sharpies because they were running out of Sharpies. Like she went and did it herself. And I got there. There was like maybe an hour left. I like literally ran from the bus over to the restaurant, went upstairs and got some great video and footage of them signing and pictures of us together and got to hang out with them for a little while. Then they had to like run back to the show and I had to like get all the posters and run back to the airport because my flight was leaving in like an hour. I had to like <laughs> drop it off the UPS store, get on my flight to go home. Oh my God. Um, That's incredible. But though. they were amazing. Yeah. They, they were amazingly and, and, and gracious. And I'm, I'm just fortunate. I got to be there at least a little bit. I was supposed to be there like all day, but you know, stupid flights, but they were just the best. I mean, the best, like literally amazing. And uh, we raised a lot of money and it was just cool to work with them like that, you know? Oh, so awesome, That's man. So cool. That's so cool. All right. Uh, we want to head to the, to the Let's last one yeah. with uh, another <laughs> franchise. A few people might've heard of Ben, you want to bring us home with this buddy? 1978's John Carpenter's Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town, 15 years ago. Michael? I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have Halloween. What's not been said about this movie is actually what I'm going to say about this movie is what I said to Adrian <laughs> King when I met her. Cause I was like, I, I don't have anything to say to you that probably hasn't been said to you today. And probably hasn't been said to you every day you've been at a convention, which is uh, this movie means a lot to me. Uh, it was formative. It changed my perspective on how I consumed media in general. And uh, think of how much artwork this has inspired. 
Like it's it's an unbelievable. It's, it's yeah. you can't quantify it. It's not even calculable. It's priceless in that respect. Uh, and yeah, this is this is the 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 goat, right? This is yeah. the greatest of all time. Agreed. Yeah. That's all you got, Jamie? Is agreed? That's, that's all I got. What do you want me to say? You said it so eloquently. <laughs> so, Ben, you talked a little bit about growing up and being, what, four years old and flipping through the three channels and landing on this one, and this is what's uh, kind of started it all for you. But So after that was your springboard. What was your uh, relationship with the film after that? Was it another um, weekly rental from uh, VOD? It was. You know, it's funny. It wasn't as weekly i remember getting it on beta and watching it in my parents bedroom and i not being able to almost hear the audio because it was like it sounded like it was coming out of a tin can <laughs> it was really bad um it was it's funny because you know from that moment 1981 <laughs> until 1988 we only had two halloween i mean look just like everybody else i hated halloween three when i was a kid because it didn't have michael myers on it i freaking love that movie today and yeah. i've loved it for a very very long time but when you're you know seven eight nine years old and you're into michael myers and you get this halloween three movie and you're like what the hell is this i don't get it like yeah. that was not <laughs> yeah so you get it so um anyway i'm watching one and two and one and two and and it's funny i i watched two a lot primarily because it gets right into it and it feels more just slasher right like you can just kind of throw it on one was kind of like we were talking about before. One was almost like very prized to me. I, I didn't, I didn't want to lose a certain something. Even when I was a kid, I felt like that's too precious. Like, and maybe I, maybe I didn't think of it quite like that, but it felt like I need to reserve that for special times. I'll throw on part two because it's just an easy slasher film. Sure. Right? Yep. Um, we, and it's it's my Michael fix. We, we talk about gotten, that all the time. And I oh, completely yeah. agree with you. Um, that's why I, I'll start the season with, uh, <clears throat> for me, Friday 13th part five is not one of my favorites. but That's the one I always start with. Yeah, I'll put yeah. it on once it starts to get a little bit warm because it's like, you know what? I'm going to honor what's about to come, but I'm not ready for the big event, right? I'm yeah, not, not ready all for the, the way in yet. Yeah. Yeah. We need an opening band yeah. first. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, also not for anything, but as a kid, um, it's a slower film than say part two is. So it does take a little bit, but I also just, I mean, even as I got older though, I just, I almost like revered that movie so much that I just didn't want to overdo it with myself. Even though I did quite frankly, watch it a lot. It wasn't, one of those ones where I was like playing on all the time. It wasn't until I got even older, probably in my, I don't know, late twenties, even um, where I was very comfortable with just putting it on any time and not worrying about, because I'd seen it so many times at that point. Um, and even then, like I still, like I can put it on in my TV in my office here and, and, and it's nice background music or like sometimes I'll go in my theater room and sit down and watch it properly. You know, and especially now with the 4k and stuff, it's amazing. Um, or, you know, like we've watched it in the theater. Like we were doing that every single year with our print. Um, actually I probably have to retire that print now. It's getting a little too old and worn and I'm afraid it's going to rip. Um, what my, for how actually in that sense i've enjoyed showing it to a crowd every every year uh since 2016 um because every year we get people that had never seen it before because i'd seen a lot on video obviously got the vhs 
I rented a Laserdisc player just so I could watch it in widescreen in 1996 or something, um, which was incredible. It's like it's like seeing the movie for the first time when you see it in in actual two three five as opposed to you know you know the um, the, the the cut version. You know, um, the funny thing is, I will say this about Halloween. I saw the network television premiere of that film. And when I was a kid, I would rent it all the time. Like I said, I'd be like, but there's something in this movie that I'm not seeing that I saw when I first saw it. And I'm like, where is him in the the sanitarium? Where is Loomis in this conference room? Like, where are these things that I remember seeing? And it's so funny. And this is so funny now because it's so dated, but I'll never forget. It was 1996. I was on like, um, what was it? One of the Halloween movie sites. Maybe it was HalloweenMovies.com. But I mean, we're talking dial-up 28.8 modems. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I remember opening up the computer and I was on the website. It's like first ever scenes of the TV version of Halloween. And I remember clicking the link, going downstairs, eating breakfast, taking a shower, coming back upstairs just to see all the images that have loaded. <laughs> and it was like somebody dusted off a corner of my brain that I couldn't access until I saw these images. And I was like, that's it. Cause it was coming out in VHS at the time. And I was like, I cannot believe it, it exists and it's here. And, and again, as a kid, I was like, I never bought into the, the, the bloodline because I'm like, that didn't happen, you know, but again, <laughs> they did that for the TV version. And I know that obviously, but uh, I never bought into it as a fan uh, even though I love all the movies, so it's not like I care that much. But sure. I, I mean, to me, Halloween is a singular film. It was not about a brother and sister. It was about that movie. So anyway, it just the, the, finally seeing the television scenes and all of the stuff that I had not seen for 15, 16 years, you know, um, I'd yeah. never seen it. It's and, incredible. Except for that one time. Um, but then I saw it in the theater. Another defining moment was 1998. I saw it in a movie theater proper. I'd never seen a theater it was an original print and people were laughing and I was so pissed. I was literally like, what the fuck are you laughing at? This is the best movie ever made. Don't even, don't even with this film. And I come to understand, you know, it, I, it, it's not a laughable movie by stretch, but I understand in certain terms because so many things were based on that film that that movie in some light, like, look, she stabs him and then drops the freaking knife like twice. Like, come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like their tropes have been so overdone at this point. When you go back to what started the trope, you go, oh, uh, you know, it yeah. loses its effect for people who weren't there in the beginning. Right. Um, we tell the story anyways, a lot on the, the podcast. We we had uh, Jay Bonansinga, um, who wrote the Walking Dead novels on the show. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he was talking about how he showed his son Halloween and his son was very unimpressed. And he was like, you know what? Damn. Like you're pissing me off. Like this is my man Carpenter and, and, and you're disrespecting him. Like, and he goes, and then I, then I pause and I realize, okay, he's already seen this movie basically because so many other films have, um, you know, done different aspects of this film in their film. So by the time he got to this one, it was like the rule of atrophy or whatever. Yep. Uh, and <clears throat> then he, then he said he showed him the exorcist and his friend had to go home cause he was dry heaving or something in the kitchen. But 
Oh, I mean, yeah. that's good. I mean, that's good <laughs> if that has that effect on people. I think it, I love the, the fact that a movie like The Exorcist can still elicit that response. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. That's the thing I had to understand about Halloween is like, people are coming at it from different angles. And, sure. and everyone and again, wanted a piece yeah. of that, that act like, Friday 13th was like, Hey, we got to strike now. And so many films and franchises were like, okay, this is obviously the way to do it. So how do we kind of do it, but sort, but still do that. Um, so, so to your point, by the time so many people see it all these years later, they're laughing cause they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And it's like, no, this is what started it all. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't even think some of that laughing was against the film as much as it was Oh my God, can you, can you believe yeah. this was scary at, at that time? Sure. So I don't think it was necessarily disrespect um, that I took it as at the time. And I, I, since, you know, again, we started showing it in 2016 every year, um, the print that I own and welcoming new people into the fold every year I ask how many of you have never seen it before. And there's always, you know, a, a lot more hands than I expect. Yeah. Back to your point, John, this is the last probably the last of the franchise that I watch in the fall. Like I, I, I save this one for Halloween day yeah. usually, um, which is like, then I, I always tell John this Ben that I always like panic by the end, like something will come up on Halloween day. The kids are like, I'm too busy. And then like, I don't get to fit it in. So like I've been better in recent years of like watching it like a week before, because I'll get to that point. I panic. Like I haven't watched three yet. And like, 1am and I'm like <laughs> trying to watch scenes from my favorite movies. Like out of my wife is like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, like yeah. stack of Blu-rays. You're panting and yeah. you're just pissed. And it's like, no, don't talk. I, I'm not even enjoying myself at that point. Yeah. I have 37 <laughs> minutes left before it's one o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, I know we all have our rituals like that. I, I do that too, where I start out like, I remember one year I started out with like H2O and like a few other ones. And I start getting to like, all right, you know, and then you start winding down. Like for me, like it's uh, part four is probably my next favorite because that was the first one I saw in the theater as a kid. Um, it's funny. I saw that on October 30th, 1988. And when you watch it and the first title card comes up, it says October, October 30th, 1988. 30th, I was like, that's tonight. Yeah, oh my yeah. God. Um, I mean, look, as, again, as a kid looking forward to Halloween, uh, I had one and two and one and two. I'll never forget. I was at my uh, friend's house. My sister was babysitting and I heard it because I knew the new Halloween was coming because I would read about it in Fangoria, but I heard in the other room, you know, 10 years ago, he changed the face of Halloween. I'm getting chills about thinking about it now. I ran into that room to see that trailer and I was like, Oh my God, yeah. like, this is amazing. And, you know, I saw it that Sunday night and, um, yeah, it was incredible. So, I mean, that, you know, winding down the, the but I usually save Halloween to last, but a lot of times now I'll put it on first. And then watch a bunch of other stuff. And then I always Revisit. end Halloween night with Halloween. Hmm. Uh, always and forever, I will always end Halloween night with Halloween. No matter what time it is, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Are uh, you, <clears throat> Oh, like we are, we get very, very bad post-Halloween depression. Do you, feel, do you feel that way too? Or um, it, it comes usually, the, yeah, I'd say a couple days it usually hits me, you know, obviously on the first and then that's why we made that November 1st. Cause it was sort of extended yeah. a little bit. Cause yeah. we always, um, share the link every November 1st, but, um, we, um, uh, yeah, I, I'd say it's about a, a few days to a week where I'm kind of in this like weird funk. And then I, I start getting into my like, all right, you know what we got, 
Thanksgiving coming up. We got Christmas, you know, and obviously work gets busy because we got a plan for Black Friday and all these other things. So it takes my mind off it a little bit. But then I look forward to holiday horror. I mean, I look forward to, you know, blood rage on Thanksgiving and I look forward we're, to we're big uh, blood rage. Yeah, uh, obviously, yeah, uh, yeah yep. all the Christmas horror, which, you know, you can go on and on about. But um, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a postmortem, I guess, where you're just sort of like, oh, man. But I try to enjoy it as long as I can while it's here because I know it'll be gone. So I, I just try to soak it up as much as I can. Yeah, totally agree, man. Yeah, I feel like I soak it up a little too much. Like I almost go into like a post-Halloween like coma. <laughs> like I don't want to watch like it's like that depression we were talking about. Yeah. Where it's like I don't watch anything. Just laying in bed like yeah. Nosferatu. Right. With your arms crossed over <laughs> your chest like yeah. Barlow. Think- I'll never love again. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I think Halloween's all about the lead up. Usually, the day of, Complete, um, sure. as fun as it is, it, it's not the same. Like it's always the the anticipation. It's just like Christmas. It's the anticipation. Yeah. Like you know, luckily, you know, well, in the last couple of years we've had some crappy weather. Last year, I think was pretty good. But like, even right around the time trick or treating comes, like like I was out with my son. Like my daughter can go out and do her own thing, and and my my son and his friend wanted to go out this year. They're both into horror movies, and they wanted to go with me just to scare kids because I always dress up as Michael or something else, and I'm always walking around just stalking people. Um, and they wanted to come out with me this year to do that. They wanted to get candy too, but they were like done in like I don't know 45 minutes or something, and I was like, "Well, all right, you go back home. I'm gonna go walk around and." scare the crap out yeah. of kids like i'll be back in like a couple hours or something you know like I, your wife's I just, texting you like I, ben it's time to come home <laughs> and you're like getting no. dark like, no ben. i gotta keep making her no it's great we have a we have friends over and, and we yeah. have pizza and we you know we it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and but it usually by like but i feel like and again i'm sure it's a little bit of reality in, in my memory but when i was a kid i felt like i was out for like all night and and these days like you go out at like i don't know seven and then you get back at like eight thirty, and then you're done and i'm like what you know like yeah. no i, I completely I agree a long time i remember I bringing a pillowcase and um, yeah spilling it on the floor with your friends and trading candy and being like wait why yep. the hell is this in here yeah oh man i cannot Which, explain I mean, my kids still do a little bit but yeah it's crazy well, go ahead sorry I, I was just gonna say i can't explain to you like to your point about how it's so short like i will be out on my porch at like seven thirty. Doesn't do we have like twenty minutes left? Where are the kids? And my wife is like, "You're being a creep." I'm like, "Well, yeah, but where are the kids? What is this?" <laughs> and you've got a great. Well, I live in a cul-de-sac, it. which kind of it, it's a great neighborhood for trick or treating, but also you don't get a lot of kids. You know, you want to bring out the burbs again? Yeah, let's. Speaking of cul-de-sacs, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say that's perfect for the burbs. It is perfect. I get maybe three uh, trick or treaters a year. <laughs> Oh my god, that's sad. I know. I I've I've a, a lot of old old heads. Well, no, I mean my it's a hard street. You have yeah, no sidewalk. Like I'm, I'm going to try and explain it, but I have no A I have no sidewalk and B like I live on like an acre and a half and a lot of that is the front yard. So to get to my to get to my front door if you don't drive it like it takes minutes. Yeah, also your front yard is like it's a, a big hill yeah, and dude, it's annoying. It's, it's, yeah. If I'm a kid, I would ignore that house. I'd be like, yeah. mm, not worth Although it. Although the Freddy Krueger on your porch is inviting. And I decorate the hell out of yeah. my house. So it's like, no, if you're going to come here and I always have the good stuff. And then, yeah, then Full it's size. April eight, or uh, November 1st. And it's like, well, all right, 
guess we're just going to eat candy for the next yeah. month because we overbought again. All yeah, we, uh, we do the full, it's funny when my wife and I were looking not only for our old house, but this house, we, one of our first questions was, um, what's the trick or treating situation around here? Like, uh, <laughs> oh give us some more intel. Cause we wanted, we really wanted a lot of kids around and we actually live in a pretty big neighborhood, which is full of kids, but our street is almost like a connecting street. And in our immediate, like our immediate neighbors are a little bit older. Um, so we don't get as many through traffic, unfortunately, in terms of kids, we do get probably average 30 to 40 kids, maybe. Um, but I mean, I, there's some places in our immediate area that get literally a thousand kids. Oh my it's God. like the streets almost closed down, which you is, I'm like, that, I want but... that, you know what I mean? But, uh, but the neighborhood itself, we go around and there's kids everywhere. So like I said, I'll just literally just grab my, you know, butcher knife and, and then get in my outfit with Michael and just, just walk around and scare the shit out of people. And it's, it's so much fun. I love that. Um, it's, uh, it's one of my, my favorite things to do. Absolutely. love. They that. should add that to uh, Zillow, like the uh, Halloween exactly. trick or treating attendees. Yes. Uh, they have what? Like the walk score. Yeah. 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 What's your horror score? Trick or treat score. <laughs> Um, well, Ben, this has been amazing, man. Thank you so much. Um, we typically ask people to plug their stuff, but I think everybody knows where to find you. Um, do you have any exciting collections coming up, Ben? Yeah. Anything new? Coming? Oh man. Uh, yeah. we got a lot of stuff coming up. A couple things that I'm looking forward to in the next month or two that we have not done before. Uh, one is Carrie, um, which is going to be a fun one to work on. And then the next one is, uh, the Munsters. Oh, um, so we the will zombie be, one? Um, what's that? The zombie monsters or the original? Well, so the, the we're doing the original monsters, but um, it's sort of, I don't think it's public knowledge yet, but yes, we will be, we will be working on Rob's uh, monsters. Um, breaking news. We, uh, it kind of is breaking because we, so we've worked with him. Rob's a really cool dude. We've been working with him directly on a lot of things over the last several years. Um, and uh, he actually, when when Universal was talking about merchandise um, for the movie, he actually said, you know, I want Fright Rags to do it, basically. Oh so uh, that's incredible. We were already going to ask to get the rights because we knew it was through Universal. And uh, so I actually just talked to him recently via email. And he's like, yeah, man, just start sending ideas when you got them. I'm like, well, we just need to get images from the film and so we can start working on it and stuff. So I'm hoping in the next few months we can start really getting you know going on it because uh they want it out by the time the film comes out which i think is september i think is that's right um but yeah so if it all works out we'll be doing that one as well but for sure we've already got designs done for the uh original monsters that are coming out next month i think or april or no i think in may i think we've got it and then uh carrie's coming out i believe in april um and that's going to be a cool collection too. Unfortunately, we can't use Sissy SpaceX, Sissy SpaceX likeness, but we've, we've thought of some pretty interesting ways to get around that. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to those. And we've just got a lot of stuff coming up with this year. Like looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah. And for those Exciting. that, um, that are, have some fatigue from, from email distributions, I have to say that one email I've never unsubscribed from is the Fright Rags distribution. Uh, the preview of coming attractions. I, abs- I actually look oh, forward nice. to it and it, it's really well laid out and it's always a great indication of what's to come. I actually got one today. Um, I was going to say, there's yep. just one that came out today. 
Yep, I definitely received that, and I was combing through, too, so I might be making some purchases here. Nice. Uh, and typically, once we have a guest on, um, not that we've not been buying shitloads of freight rags for years, but yeah. Jamie and I are probably going to go on a spree tonight. Just uh, Yeah, we always do yeah, that. It just happens. It just does. Um, and we do a giveaway uh, every month on our Patreon. Um, oh, we're doing a freight rags giveaway. So, yeah, this yeah. this month will be a, a freight rags. So, um, but we just really, really appreciate your time, man. Again, um, I think we've communicated our reverence for, for, for you and for what you've done. And we just appreciate your, your presence in the community and what it's inspired. So, so thank you for, um, for being a pioneer. Well, I really truly appreciate that and the kind words and that it really does mean a lot because honestly, without, without, you know, that type of support, like we don't get to do what we do. And, and that really, it means a ton to us. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for having me on here. It's been a blast.